It's 4 p.m. Stand up. It's count time. It's time for every man and woman to stand up and be counted. I'm Brother L.D. Azobra, and I'd like to welcome you to another edition of Count Time Podcast. Today, of course, you know, we got another living legend, a dear friend, a brother, colleague, confidant, mentor. Uh, it goes on and on and on. We've been working together for quite some time. He's been a, someone that I, well, I guess with my go-to friend. We've been knowing just for quite a while, and uh, I'd like to welcome here my friend, Dr. Leonard Garrett. Welcome to Caltech. Thank you so much, Brother LD. I appreciate this opportunity to be here with you this afternoon. So you're here on different reasons, and I, I, I don't even know where to start at. He done wrote a book. Now, now, the name of your book is... is it, the name of my book, It's a Man Called Graveyard. Hold on. The name of the book is... The what? name of the book is A Man Called Graveyard. Now, that, that, that's an interesting title. It is an interesting a title. A man. A man. Called Graveyard. Yes, sir. You know, like the graveyard that we go... It's uh, like. symbolic of the graveyard. You go out and bury people in and you see those steel, you see those monuments and those stones. Uh, it's pretty much like that. So, but I, I, I can't just jump to the book because yes. it's, it's so much more about your, our relationship that I got to kind of get some of this in. Yes, you need to. You need to. The book is only one, one, one element of my life, but uh, and our, relationship. our relationship and friendship goes back some 25, 30 years, even before your son was born. Uh, we go back a ways, and uh, this book has only highlighted some of the things that I've done, but our friendship is, it goes beyond this book. And it's about relationship, friendship, and kinship that we have built with one another over the years. Yeah, all that sounds good, y'all, but he didn't put me in the book. So, I mean, I'm a little disappointed about that. But, but, but you know, there were a lot of people. We good. There were a lot of people didn't make good, the cut. Good. I understand, though. Now, now, you're not even from Louisiana. No, I'm not. Where, where's your hometown? My hometown is in a small place in Texas. It's in Southeast Texas, a place called Silsby, Texas. It oh, is in the Golden oh, Triangle. Oh, oh. Now, let, let's regress a little bit. Yes. I mean, that's it's a lot of good information. Yes, sir. But that's still some, uh, some history. Yeah. In Silsby, Texas, that we got to. Yeah, what, what history? Go ahead. We got to set this thing up. Okay, you want to set it up any way you want to do it. I'm, I'm willing to, to assist Silsby, you. Silsby, Texas. It's in the Golden Triangle, Southeast the Golden Texas. Golden Triangle. If you go down Interstate 10, you go to Beaumont, and you get to Beaumont, you go north, and on 96, you go into Silsby, Texas. But your life being real in Silsby, yes. Texas, yes. was not so golden. I would say no. There was... There was... There are a number of things that took place, and there are some... Uh, Recorded things that happened. There's trauma and early trauma early in trauma. life. Early yeah. trauma in life as uh, as a kid. I have a as I as is stated in my book. I this whole thing started when I was about five to six years old. And you, you remember this? I remember all of this. I remember it quite well, quite vividly. I still have these vivid pictures of things happening and things going on as a child and as a young boy trying to really understand and and try to get a a a, a reason as why these things are happening not why me but just why these things happening and so as a result of that i just some kind of way and i just through life itself it's recorded in my mind and it's still there and as i was writing and drafting this book out 
come a year ago, uh, I... So you, you had to relive. I relived all of these things and relived all of the moments. And, <clears throat> you know, my, my editor and my publisher, they were wondering, how did you remember this? Did you make it up? These are all real things and they just came out as I was talking about it. You know, it's been 45, almost 50 years ago. When it all started, <clears throat> being in Sealsby, Texas, living with my father and my mother at that time, and I have in my family, I have five brothers and three sisters at that time. And my mom and dad married in 1942. My dad is from, you know, central, you know, southeast Texas there. My mom is from the same place and they met married in 1942. In 1944, they started having children. And they had my oldest sister, oldest sister Frankie, my second oldest sister Merlin, and then myself Leonard, and then my uh, brother, younger brother Orrin, my younger brother Don, my younger brother's ro twins, Reggie and Raleigh, and then my younger sister Mona at that time. And we had five boys and three girls living in his house that my dad and mom bought when they first got married back in 1942. And as a result of that, we were living there in this commune. And all of this history and all of these recorded dramas that still relate, that still hangs in my mind, tells me that as I was living through this, this whole process, I began to understand and try to understand what was going on. You know, I would wake up in the morning as I hear all this noise, this rumbling and thunder, and I'm thinking the house is falling down or a bomb is going off in the house, and it's not. It's my mom and dad, and they're fighting, and my dad is beating up on my mom, and I'm wondering what, what is going on and why is this happening. Here I am, five years old, trying to figure this thing out. And so these kind of activities, these type of activities, and these things took place almost every day and sometime every day and sometime every other day there's always some incident you know uh, between my mom and dad and they were all it was always a physical altercation on, and, a, on a regular you know, on a regular basis almost every day they fight. almost every day not he arguing. Oh, not necessarily fighting he was fighting that they're basically two people involved in the whole process i wouldn't necessarily say it was a fight it was just him brutalizing her whether it was he can, you know whether you know, the food was too cold or he didn't fix, she didn't fix the lunch or he went to work and somebody made him mad at work, he'd come home and, and if what, she what said anything wrong. My, he was a logman. He worked at a lumber mill in Silsby, Texas. Oh, that's, that's a pine. The pine, piney woods. Okay. And he worked lumber mill hauling logs, uh, you, know, you know, hooking logs and that kind of stuff. And he worked there. It was, it was hard labor, manual labor. He would leave home, walk to work, work eight hours and then walk back home. And then when he walked in the door, you know, if I don't know, if I, I, I'm, I'm just you know guessing it all. Guess I, I, you know, speculating. Well, what what what, what would make him mad? They did come in and beat my mom. Uh, what would make him mad for him to? What did she do? She's been with us all day. So what would make him mad to come in and want to beat on her? But those things that happened, and those things happened for a long time, and they happened. They happened long enough for me. When I came along, and then there was my five brothers and my other sister, but my other two sisters were, were around before me, and whatever it was, I began to realize this and see all this and remember all this and record this in my mind for, for history. And all this, is, all this is contained in your book. All this is contained in my book. A book 
with a, a man called Graveyard. A book about a man called uh, Graveyard. Now, also back in the days, y'all didn't have any indoor? No, it was ain't no plumbing. We had, uh, at home, my, our home life was tough, it was rough. I, I, you say that now because you can reflect back, but when I saw it, it's all we had. That's all I knew was what we had. We had a house that was, uh, you know, had wood stove, we had outdoor toilets, didn't have any running water inside. We had, uh, we had living condition was just rough. You know, we had what we used to have, or what we call no as a refrigerator. Not, uh, we had ice box, so you get a block of ice, put the block of ice at the bottom of the refrigerator to keep your food cold inside. We had a wooden heater where you had to go out and chop wood and uh, put the wood, put the, put the wood inside the heater to heat the house. And the, and the heater was only in one room. And you got a house, a three bedroom house, and you know, you got a, you got mom and dad's in one, the, the girls in one, and the boys in another, you know. My, my two sisters slept in the same bed, and my brothers and I, we all slept in the same bed. You know, we had two beds. That bed stayed wet. That bed stayed wet for a long time, you know. I'm like, what the heck? But that's kind of where it was. And, you know, you had, and the heater was in one room, and there was a kitchen and dining room. There was no such thing as a living room. So we just, we had basic barrack living conditions. Every room was a living room. Every room was a living room, because that's all you had. And you had the heater, and there was no indoor bathroom. And you know, and the water was outside. You had to bring the water inside the house to drink it, to use it, and that kind of stuff. Now, that, now you know what you know what it means to haul water. I know what it means to haul water. People, people these days they don't have no idea water. what you're talking about hauling water. Yeah, I'm talking yeah. serious. Well, you know, you people, they, they have talking about these hurricane conditions and tornadoes, and they talking about bringing water. You really talking about hauling water. You have to go outside to the well. We first had a well, you just dip the water, dip the bucket down in the well and come up. And then we got that well, you had to pump the well and get the water. You had to prime the well, prime shall the I say. You prime the well, you prime it. You prime the well, then you get the water in, you put it in the bucket and you bring it in the house. Y'all moved up, y'all had running water in. You would consider that as running water. Once you get it primed, it runs. But then after that, you you could only prime, but you, you stop because you only could use so much of the water at one time. And so we had those those type of living conditions that we lived through and in the exact. Oh, I remember you, those you days to, well. You had to heat the water up. You had to heat the water up to use it. And, and you told me you had to bathe in a foot tub. No, you bathed in a number three tub. Number three, you number three tub. And you didn't bathe, you didn't go get fresh water to bathe. If my mom and dad bathed, you had to bathe in that same water, and then your brothers had to bathe in that same water behind you. There was no exchange in the water. They float no the water be turning gray and white matter. You see that, didn't you wonder, what is going on here? But that was the water he had. There you had no choice. Nobody asked no question. No, there were no questions. Ask him. The, mom, the dad went first, mom went second, the girls went. That's right. Then the boys went. The back. boys went the wine. You wonder, and you could heat it up and put more water in there, but you, you, you had that same tub of water. Yeah, you, they keep adding a little they water. They keep adding water in it. So, but then it emptied out to, to the last one. The last, the the, we didn't empty the tub until the last person was through with them. <laughs> Taking a bath, his or her bath. And you didn't take a bath every day either. Oh, there wasn't no everyday bath. Hold on, hold on. Hey. You didn't take a bath every day. We took a bath every day. No, you didn't take a bath every day. You take a bath every day. It was every day. You didn't take a bath every day. You didn't take a bath every day. Sometimes my dad would take a bath weekly, but then there were times he would not take a bath. Because it required too much. It required, it required one, somebody go get the water. You got to take the water, bring it in, and set it on, on top of the stove. On the heater, to heat up, so you can take a bath. So that's a process. Oh, as it, it was a it was a tremendous process. It was a process that one really needs to understand and appreciate because you had to 
you got this stove there and it's a stove and it has two burners on the top and you have one space for A space and the B space and you put the water on there and that's it. And you had to, at the, at the hood of that, you put the, shove the wood up in there and it heat the house, it heat that, it heat that room up. But outside that room, cold. the rest of the house is cold. So you really had these kind of, on, on top of the drama, the, the, the drama, the trauma, the drama, trauma, the everything yeah, else yeah. going on between yeah. mom, yeah, mom and dad, and dad. You're right. and it got to the point where mom got tired. Of it. it got to a point where mother got tired of it, and just one day, just one day, you know, you know, my two sisters, then my myself, and then my four brothers, and then my last sister Mona, who was born, she was at the time that my mother decided to leave. She was eight months or nine months old, and my and you know my sister was now younger sister was nine months old, and uh, my twin brothers Reggie and Raleigh were thirteen fourteen months old, and then my brother Don was either two or three, Ooh, and then huh? yeah we already lying we all every nine months my mother was having a baby for ten years straight. But they was fussing and fighting, but they. they they was nine months, they was kicking babies up. And that, that, well, some was working. I, I guess that's what I did. That's one of the things I, you know, I, you know, to this day, I'm wondering, boy, she must have been a tough lady. She was a tough lady because she was having babies every nine months. And not, every not, nine months. Not, not, once, not, tw not every 12 months. No, she was having, she was having yeah, because yeah, yeah, uh, we are all, my oldest sister, they had her, and then two years later, then they had my 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 next sister, then they had me, then they had my next brother, then they had my next brother, and then they had the twins, and then they had Mona, and they were all like you know, in rotating cycles. Every nine months, ten months, you know, you come that eleven months, she's pregnant again with another child. So within that ten-year period, from the time she had her first child to she had her last child nine months later. So in that time, she had eight children in that 10-year span, and they were married together. Your mom had to make a tough decision. Your mom, she made a tough decision at that time that I didn't understand, and she probably, well, no, I'm still five, six years old trying to really, really understand this, and not, not understand it, just looking at it and, 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 and thinking. And uh, one morning, we all, you know, my dad gets up and goes to work, and a lot of times he gets up, half of the house wakes up because he's getting out of the house, and or if they're not, if it's not in rumbling thunder, where there's no, no, no battle going on, where he's, you know, he's abusing her, we would hear the noise, and we'd all wake up, and some would go back to sleep, and some would sleep too, but I always wake up and see it and wonder, you know, what, what, what happened. So this particular morning, he, she got up, she got up as she normally do, fixed his lunch, and he sent him off to work. And he walked, goes across the track, and walks down the road to go to work to the meal. And uh, this this particular day, she started uh, doing laundry. I'm thinking she's doing laundry. Thought it's laundry day because laundry consisted of wash tub and a, and a number three tub wash a washboard and a number three tub where you go out and put your clothes on the outside and hang them up. There was no wash, so I'm thinking. Today we're gonna do washing, and the washing was done outside in the number three tub. Would, you would wash you, your clothes. Y'all would help with that too. You would, that would be part of your chores. You would have to have you. You help wash, you have scrub, you have rinse, and you hang them on the line so they can dry. There was no indoor dryers, no indoor. There was no indoor. Anything. Everything was done outside. All the washing, so all that had to take place. So I'm thinking, oh man, today is a wash day. So I'm thinking, no. But she was just gathering her clothes. 
And then as I walk, and I walked in the room because there were no doors in the house. You know, normally as we accept and adjust to this lifestyle, there's a door in every room. But in our house, there was no doors on any room. It was just you walk out of a room, you walk in the B room, you walk in the C room, so we could you know see everything was going on. And when we had all together, you know, my sisters in the room, and my mom did, and we were there. We just you just see what was happening. And I'm walking in, and I'm wondering, hey, mom, you know, it's not it's not a Laundry day, you know, it's not a day where we wash clothes. We always wash clothes on the weekend, so it, I, I assume it wasn't weekend day. So she, uh, she was gathering her clothes, and I know she was just gathering her clothes and put them in this suitcase. And I'm thinking, and the suitcase was a blue suitcase. How do I remember that? I don't know, but I do. And she remembers a blue suitcase, and I'm thinking, okay. So she kept putting her clothes in there, and I and I and I simply say, you know, Mom, where are you going? I don't know why. I, I did, and. Uh, and she said, boy, go in another room. Go, go back in there and play with your brothers and sisters. And uh, I just said, okay, I moved on. Do that. And then I, you know, I you know, just meandered around with them. And I came back and I noticed she had put all her clothes in the suitcase. She had closed the suitcase. And she had put my younger sister's clothes in a separate bag. Mona, who was nine months old at the time, in a separate little bag. Not in a suitcase, in a bag. And uh, she was getting ready and then she had a coat. She had a you know a gray coat that she was gonna put on to walk out. And she put her a coat on and her clothes on and a suitcase and a hand and she took, you know, my younger she picked up my younger sister, which was nine months old at the time, and she picked her up and was headed towards the door and I'm asking her, Well, where are you going? Can we go with you or can I go with you? She just looked at me and she said, Tell your daddy I'm gone and I'm not coming back. And I'm looking like, what? I am. I'm thinking, okay, all right, we will. She walked out of the door, my younger you, sister. You, you, you're too young to even process. I'm even too young to even process that. I'm thinking, I, right, you know, I ain't about nothing. So I'm thinking she's taking my younger sister at that time up to my grandmother's. My grandmother, her mother, my mother's adopted grandmother was her aunt. My mother original grandmother, her mother died in childbirth to give it to her. And so her mother, sister adopted her and took care of her in as hers. So my grandmother, my mother's mother, adopted grandmother, was living a block from us. That, that's really your mother auntie. Yeah, that was really my mother auntie. Okay. So she was living a block from us. So I'm thinking she's going up there and hang out. The next thing I know, she packed her bags and she went out and walked down the road on the railroad track and just taking her clothes. And we we, we kind of just standing there, my older sister and my she, other she sister, no just standing food. there. No, there was no food. She didn't feed us. She just said, you know, tell him I'm gone and uh, y'all, you know, get you some food in there and what have you. And, you know, whatever was available at that time, that's what we ate until he got home. When he gets home, he comes in, and you know, of course, his first thing is, you know, where's your mother? And then we'll get that. And my sister, my other two, my other sister said, well, she's not here. Where is she? I don't know. She just told she told us to tell you she's not coming back. And so he immediately went to his, you know, up the street to my grandmother. At that time, you we called her grandma, my auntie. Right. At that time, she was known to us as my grandmother. As we grew early, later on in life, we found out she was our auntie my mother's auntie. So he walks up there, visit with her, and she again, 
relates to him, in which he eventually came back and told us, she said she's not coming back. She's had enough. She's out of here. And we're on our own. She said she would take Mona. And uh, the rest of you all, you got them. And how, that was seven or eight? That was five boys and two girls at the house. So that's seven of you all? Yes. And so my dad came back from there and he told us, you know, and he said, you know, we all there and we, we were all hungry. And they will forget that day. We were all hungry because there was no food. And so we said, we, we're hungry. We want to eat. So he, he rustled up something to eat for us. I don't know what that was at that time. He rustled the food up and we ate it. And uh, he said, your mother's not coming back. And we're going to have to learn to work this thing out and work together and then and go from there. I'm going to talk to her one more time and see if I can get her back. If I can get, if I can get her back, we just have to make this thing work. So that's what your dad told And that's what my dad told me. So that's what it, like Yes. Why? But I did. And I still do. It took me 45, 50 years to put it down, and I did. But I remember those conversations he had with us. I remember that conversation he had with us. My mother, I remember the day my mother packed her bags and got the, got the heck out of the house and, and moved out and said, tell him I'm not coming back. Did she come back? No. Your mom never? My, memory came. my mama never stepped foot in that house after she left. But y'all live right around the corner. We live a block from my mama. And she didn't come over there and no, check on you? No, my mama didn't never. Y'all go over there? We would go there. We were not welcome there. Her, her auntie, my grandmother at the time, as I knew, would not allow us to come up there. You couldn't even go visit your no, mom? No, I couldn't go visit her. How long that went on? I went on for five, six years until I became, uh, until I guess until I became, uh, I got in uh, elementary school, getting ready to go into junior high school. They caught on loosen up because it was just, I, I, here again, you, you, as a child, you just accept things as people tell you, and uh, I accepted it. And you, you but know, your mom right around the corner? My mom was down the street. And, and you came? That's right. I can't go visit her. My grandmother, as I know her then, would say, no, nope, you can't come up in here. You can't walk on. Because many times we'd go up there, we'd be hungry because there's no food in the house, and Dad was gone, and there was no food in the house, and we were hungry. They feed and they wouldn't feed you. And she said, you need, you need to go back down to your own house and eat. And so my grandmother wouldn't feed us. And didn't feed us. Many, many times, many years. I remember those those times. But you you live, you live through it. You didn't, you know. I never was. It was always concerned. Why is this going on? What is all this about? And I just learned to live with it and accept it as is, and uh, accepted the whole process of what was happening. And my dad would come home, or he would try to have someone come by and cook for us and make dinner for us or kick food for us with my two older sisters and myself. We learned how to cook oatmeal, to cook grits, to cook spam, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. That's the only thing was there, you know. We didn't have no, nothing lavish, just basic. We had basic stuff and we survived on the basic stuff. And that's what you eat today, oatmeal. I still eat oatmeal today. Beans. Beans. So you've Still always been a vegetarian. I've been, I've been a vegetarian, and I've been that, and I understand that. I have no problem. I'm, I, I'm strong on beans and strong on lentils, strong on veggies, and strong on, on, on good things going into my body. So, so that was some good came out of that. Though. I guess so because the basic senses that I had then, and I, you know, very little of it, but it was core stuff, and it was good stuff. And it, 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 it allowed me to go back to that and to exist today without any problems. Now, I would assume your dad raising seven children on yeah. his own. Yeah. 
y'all had to have a distant kind of relationship because he got seven other children. Yeah. So he yeah. couldn't. He, he couldn't spend the time. With he the didn't. Boys he didn't spend the time with the boys nor the girls. He just so, spent time on going to work, coming back home, going to work, coming back home, going to work, coming back home. Who, that was it. Who developed? I would say your athletic skills. How did that come about? Oh, that that's, that that's that that has nothing. Honestly, you know, I, as I have I have stated in my book, I love my dad and I hated my dad, and uh, and uh, I, and just some things I didn't understand because going in high school. Well, you go back to elementary school. When I went to elementary school, I went to elementary school from elementary school. I went into high school, and. Uh, my dad was always distant. He was always either working, and then after years growing up, you know, he, we developed a garden. We had to, we grew everything: peas, corn, all kind of stuff. We grew, and we ate out of that garden: greens, corn, peas, watermelons. We grew everything, and we worked that land. And that was our job: working the fields and working those those rows and hoeing those rows and growing and you know planting peas planting corn planting vegetables we worked that and we worked that for years and years i worked it until i was in high school and when i finished high school you know i had a wow i said i always said i got to get out of here when i was in high school i got to go but athletic ability skill sets knowledge of football or basketball it just wasn't that just wasn't him it just wasn't him and it wasn't him for me because he he never engaged or connected to me as I grew up as a young man. He just, we were always disconnected. And also in your book, you mentioned that I, I was, I was, the only way to determine is that even as a young child, you was bullied. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I, I experienced that. I experienced that when I was in, when I first got, when I got in the first grade, moving to the first grade, I, I I don't I, I we all label it as bullying. I guess it was bullying then. I just labeled it as guess yeah. I just picking on me because I was as tall, skinny, skinny kid, kind of a big head with ears sticking out. You know. Well, you still look the same. Yeah, I'm still that same good-looking kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. But uh, you know, but yet now I kick ass now. You don't you don't, you don't bother me because I ain't, I don't take I ain't gonna take off nobody for no reason now. And uh, so I. I was in first grade, never forgetting that. I'm, I'm going to first grade in the school and I'm minding my own business, trying to grow up, and I never forget. I was in the first grade and went to all, of course, all black elementary school, and I got this book called Little Black Sambo. This was my first grade reading book. That's the, that's that's the book they gave me. At all black elementary school. They gave me a book called Little Black Sambo to read and learn to read from. I started reading. So I'm reading this. I'm thinking, no, this is it. So it, you, you get this book and you read it and then you, you have to read it in front of the teacher and you read it. So I, you know, I do it. You know, being there, being by myself and my two sisters, we were in school. My, one of my sisters was in third, fourth grade. And the other sister was in, I was in the first grade. She was in third grade. We were a year apart. And so I'm getting ready to you know, asked the teacher to go to the bathroom. So I, and the bathroom was not in the school building. They were outside. Yeah, outside outhouses then. You didn't have inside yeah, bathroom. The school in school, they had outhouses so, then. So that was a normal thing. That was a normal thing. You, you want to go to bathroom, you go outside to the outhouse. And there were five or six stalls in this outhouse that you could go into. The boy's sides and the girl's sides. That's if this game had five or six. They had five or six stalls in there. 
and it was always at least 20 feet, 25 feet from the main campus. You had to walk down this hill or walk out to this sort of field to go to the outhouse at that time. And in my travels to the outhouse one afternoon, you know, these, I call them six, seven, eight graders, because they were, everybody went to the same school. You know, you K through 12, you had high school boards, you had junior high school boards, you had elementary, everybody, we all go to the same place. And I would go there and I went to the bathroom, wanted to go to the bathroom one day and outside, out to the outhouse, and these boys, and they said, no, you can't go in there. I mean, I can't go in there. You can't go in there, boy. You got to go out. Yeah, outside. I said, I'm outside. I'm going in. No, you can't go. You go in there. We're going to knock you out. So I'm going to the house. I had to go to the outhouse. I got to go out, outside, outside the outhouse, you know, to, to urinate to or to, to relieve myself. I'm thinking. So I go back. I'm thinking that's, that was one time. But this happened three or four times, you know. And so, and, and to this day, we, we, we yelled at this bullying. It was taking place then. You know, they were just pick on you because of the way you look or the way you were dressed or the way you acted, the way you didn't talk or the way you didn't look at them and the, you know, so you, you learn that their manners to stay away from them or you learn when they went there, you didn't go there. You had a time where you would see them, you would look around and make sure they're not in there before you go in there. Now, it's kind of strange, I know you as everything, as a young, as a man, yeah. since I've been knowing you, the way you operate, that's order in everything you do. Yeah, yeah. I of mean, course. everything is in order. It gotta be. I mean, if you, you go to his house, it's clean. Everything yeah. Clean. Oh, it's gotta it gets be. On, it gets on your nerve. It irritates most people. Yes. Yeah. So but, you went from one extreme. Yeah. To a whole other extreme. Well, it, 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 I went for those things that, that that brought pleasure into my life and those things that that I enjoy today is the result of what happened to me and. I don't go back and ask questions why it happened. I go back and say that it happened, you know, from the first grade to fifth grade to sixth grade, you know, and the bullying continued. It was there in the first grade. Second, third, fourth grade, ah, it was okay. But when I, I never forget, I was in the sixth grade getting ready to go into the seventh grade. These two boys, you know, they would, uh, you know, we had to walk home from school because school, school was like two blocks from our house. So we would walk back and forth. And uh, these guys would wait the schools out and they would see me walking home and they would start asking me questions. And if I didn't answer their questions, they would beat me with a belt. And I'm thinking, what what did I do? You know, and, and, and why? You know, and I wonder, I know, why are you guys messing with me, man? So, so yeah. you from your home? Yeah. To my from my school, which is two blocks away from my no, home. I'm talking about the chaos in the yeah. home. Yeah. Was one thing. Yes. But you get to school, that was chaos. Yeah, it was another chaos so, again. I mean, so you you had to be in a, in a pretty bad place yeah. as a child. Like everywhere you went, there was no. There was no. Was out of, I was out of order. Everything was out of order, and you wonder. You know, I'm thinking going to school, it would be okay because I'm thinking I'll be protected and taken care of. But when I encountered that first grade experience. And then I got second grade, third grade, you know, you, 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 you met. and I'm thinking the way I was looking there, you know, these guys would pick on me because my ears are big, my hair is big, I'm thinking, they just pick on me because they don't like the way I look, and there was no way I could correct that. But, so I just learned to deal with uh, that. Also, that when your mom left, yes, y'all would stay somewhere else? We went stay with my auntie, my daddy's, my daddy's sister had a peanut plantation, peanut farm. I don't call it plantation. I say it was plantation. His, his, his sister had a, plant, a farm. His sister had a farm and they grew peanuts. And one year they needed help in picking the peanuts. So my sister and my, and my sister 
and I, my two sisters, my older two sisters, and me, they shipped us up there to pick peanuts. Where was and that In Newton, Texas. How long y'all stayed there? Uh, we stayed there about nine months. Y'all went to school up there? Yeah, we went to school there. What that, what that experience? That experience was just as bad as any other experience. That's, you know, that's, that's one of those life experiences. You just, you learn to chalk it up. And here I thought, you know, this stuff is everywhere. I can't, I can't avoid it. Is it where I go? These guys pick on me. Why, I don't know. But they did. And I just learned. I never told anybody. I just learned to chalk it up because I, who was I going to talk to? And my auntie was heavily involved with my two sisters. And my auntie's husband, he was too busy growing peanuts and planting peanuts. And we picking peanuts that no one ever paid any attention to me. So I became this child to myself, by myself, and for myself. I learned how to exist within myself in the midst of everything else that was going on around me. So you had to learn as a young child. I learned that. So and you learned how you had, to, you had to survive on your own. I survived internally so I can be okay externally. You, you, what part in time you started figuring out? Oh, it wasn't until later on, real late in life, later on in life when I started figuring this thing out. You know, because I, I, as I continued to go through high school, I mean, tenure from high school, when I got into high school, and then I started playing ball, I started playing ball, and I got in the ninth grade, and uh, playing football, because I, I just thought football would be my relief to all of these things, and so I got involved in sports, and football, and only basketball, and when I never forget, I went to my dad, I said, Dad, and we'll work in the garden, you had, you had rows, and you had duties, you had to, you know, the garden had to go, we had to have the garden, that was no matter, and there was no excuse for that, so, if you wanted to play sports, you had to come up with a game plan, and I had to have a game plan to share with my dad. And I said, you couldn't get relief from your dude. No, I couldn't get relief from my dude. There was no one else going to pick my dude. No one else going to hold my rows or plant my corn. Or plant. I had to do that. So I said, look, if you allow me to play football and basketball, and here are the days we practice, here's the time we practice, I'll make sure that my duties on the, in, the, in the house and the garden will be taken care of, and I'll, I'll make sure that happens. I won't play any other sports but those two. And he said, okay. He said, but remember, if you slack, I'm going to stop you. That, that helped you, because, you know, it's interesting. Anybody who know Dr. Lynn Gary know you're very disciplined. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why I learned it. That's why I learned some of this stuff, in spite of other things. I just had to learn how to exist. And then mess, and you know, he was a single man, and he was, you know, dating other women. So my mother was up there living her life, and uh, I'm just asking for some relief so I can do some things for myself. And I got involved with sports, ninth grade, and uh, tenth grade, eleventh grade, and those things worked out for me. As I have, uh, as I graduated from high school in Sealsburg, Texas, I graduated from, you know, all, a predominantly black school in Sealsby, Texas called Waldo Matthew High School. And uh, I got out of high school and getting out of high school, there were no opportunities to go off to colleges or universities or trade school, whatever it may be. And uh, uh, three of my other friends, my high school buddies, and I kind of got together and say, we got to do something. We all got to leave Sealsby. We all wanted to get out of Sealsby, but we didn't know how we were going to get out of Sealsby, nor did we know <laughs> what route to take to get out of Seals because you you know you've been in Seals like well what's going to happen here so uh we all decided we got together and we decided we had, you know on, on television 
and uh, they talked about this program called the Job Corps. And so we saw all these commercials about join the Job Corps and get a trade, get a skill, and become skillful and, and you become employed. So what, and, and they focus on students who were not graduates from high schools. And so we went out prior to that. Okay, we, but, but you graduated by We graduated from all of us, all my three buddies and, and so I. And so that still exists today with Job Corps. Job Corps still exists today. It focused on undergrad, it focused on people who are high school dropouts, as well as some students who show a need for remediation and a need for assistance to go into the Job Corps program. And so we decided, because we were becoming high school grads, we were seniors and we knew we were going to graduate. We decided that we would uh, go down, take the test, and fail the test instead of passing the test. Somebody gave you that advice? Somebody gave us the advice. Because y'all didn't figure that out. I don't know. You know, there's still some good folks at Seals. We didn't, we, we didn't believe, you know, we didn't think the guy, you know, one of the counselors said, this program is designed, specifically designed for high school graduates or dropouts who need some remediation and need some support. And he said, if you come in and you score it in a high percentile, you know, chances are we're not, you're not going to get in. And so what we decided to do, that we would go in the lower percentile. We would go in and pretend that we need remediation and need assistance as we move forward. So we all failed the test below the, you know, the 50% percentile. And so that's what we did. So you end up getting a job called yeah. after graduating from high school. Yes. You can't do that today because No, you, you, you'll be in trouble. System. The system will probably yeah, block system, you. Right. I, I don't know if that same skill exists, but I would think not. I think you, there's still job code programs throughout the United States today, but I think you would have a tough time getting in being a high school graduate. But job code, yeah. y'all want to get out of sales business yeah. so bad. We, so bad, we did. We all, it was a plan. But, but you didn't know nothing about job code anyway. I didn't know anything. All I knew was my ticket to get out of sales <laughs> That's all. That's all I can tell job you. Job code was a way out. Job code was our way out. And y'all took advantage of Job Corps. We took advantage of so, the Job Corps so, program. So it was you and who else? My friend Maurice, my friend Robert, and my friend Noble. Oh, it was four of you all? Yes. We all drove down in one of my friend Robert's car. We drove down to Beaumont. We went in one afternoon. We all went in, signed up, took the test, and we assured ourselves we failed at least 40% of the questions on the test, and we knew the answers, we, and so we just automatically gave a false answer. And then some two months later, six weeks later, we all got a notice in that we were accepted into the Job Corps. We, I we all graduated from high school on May 25th, 1966, and we graduated in uh, May, not June, we all got a notice from the Job Corps saying, oh, you've been awarded, you've been accepted into the Job Corps program, and here's where you're gonna go. But, and they had no clue at the time that y'all were high no, school graduates. No, they didn't. Okay. Now, how yeah. long did you stay in Job Corps? I stayed in job for about six months. Only six months? Yeah. What took me out of job corps, you know, after getting in job corps and going through the whole process, and, uh, you know, I, I played ball, high school ball, and that kind of stuff, and I, I was a decent athlete. I wasn't nothing outstanding. I was a decent athlete, and I had some basic core skills, so I just, I went on about my business. I didn't get a scholarship and didn't get nothing. There was no, there was no, I never went to my dad and said, you got money to go to college or can we go to college? That was never a question there because, you know, and I, I, I got to say this, all through high school, you know, I was a team captain, you know, my, my junior year and my senior year, you know, and I played basketball. I was a decent 
fairly decent athlete for a little small time school in Silsby, Texas. My dad never came to any of my games. Your dad never, never came, came. watched his son play? Never came. Never watched me play. To this day? To this day. Fame. Yeah, it does. And when I think about it, it sort of does because I, I you know, I'm, I don't know why. He just never came. He never came to a football game. You never, never had came. a conversation? No, we never had a conversation. So how long has your dad been dismissed? He's been he's 21, 22 years now. So you, you was a grown man. Yeah, he oh, yeah, was a grown man, a whole bunch of bun and a whole bunch of time, but it was just never, 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 never did say, you know, son, I think you, I, I think you want to, you're my, I wouldn't say my best child, but I appreciate what you've done and how you've done it. I appreciate what you've done for your brothers and your sisters. I appreciate for you being there. There's never that never came to me and say thank you or never came to me and to say I'm proud of you never came to me and say I really I really think you're doing okay for yourself never the whole time I've known my dad that's why in my book I talk about I love my dad and I hated my dad you know I had this love and hate relationship with him and I, 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 I love and hate relationship with him yet I respected him because I had no other place to go I always had this fear that my dad was going to do what my mom did just walk in one day and say I'm out of here and then where are we going to go so I did whatever I had to do to live and exist in my family with my dad and with my brothers and sisters. I had no other, there was no other opportunity. There was nowhere, there was nowhere to go to. There was no one else to go talk to. There was no one else to listen to me. There was no, no one. My mom was up, my dad, you know, and my dad was doing this thing and I'm, I'm trying to figure out what, what the heck to do. And so I, what I did, I just existed. And child, coexisted. The child can't call on the mom. Can't call on the mom. Dad. Yeah. Where, Where do you do? Where is there to go? Who do you go to? You don't. You go within. You go deep within. And so you go right? deep within. You go deep within and, and, and sometimes you try to find that, that leverage and that, that, that thing that keeps you going, but it was just a matter of survival. What do I need to do to survive to ensure that we can stay together as a family and we can we'll be together as brothers and sisters as we go down the road so you know that that's it yeah but in a town like Searsby, texas you think a lot of other people's in your same predicament i don't know i can't i had no i i my classmates i knew their living conditions some of them you know they had mom and dads at home and their mom at home but nobody just had a dad at home. Everybody had a mom at home. And if the dad, most of the dads either worked there or most of the dads were there, they were married families. And uh, so I saw all of that. And I often sometimes wonder why, why don't we have a mom and dad and I don't have a mom and dad. But I, I learned to co exist, coexist within them. And, uh, and my buddies, all of them had moms and dads at home and they, they, they functioned. And I was able to function with them. And, and, and as a result of it, I just said, I just got to, I got to live this life. This is my life and I'm going to live it accordingly. And, and let's say you spoke in the beginning about getting out of Seals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that was the reason why you wanted to get out of That was more of the reason why I wanted to get out. I, I was ready to go and I got out of high you school. You definitely want to be all no, 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 no. No, I, there were, there were three. There were and a major company. There was a Kirby Lumber Company there in Silsby, Texas, where my dad worked all his life, and my brothers and some of my brothers. And there was a paper mill there, and there was a Santa Fe Railroad. I didn't want to work on any of those. I had no intentions ever of working for either one of those. I worked there during summer. I went to Kirby during the summer. My dad was there, so he got me a summer job there working just for the summer when I was in college. But and I saw, you know 
lumber company pulling logs, doing lumber and that kind. I, I didn't want any of that. I didn't want to work on the pavement. I didn't want to work on the Santa Fe Railroad. I didn't want any of that. I didn't want, I wanted out of Silsby. Right, so my drive was to get out of Silsby. The, the Job Corps was my way out. That was my ticket. Job Corps was way out of Job Corps. And when I got, and I got my letter from them, and said, you know, Leonard Garrett, we probably announced to you that uh, you've been uh, accepted into the Job Corps in Grants, New Mexico. Well, you can swear that was University of... of uh, it could have been in University uh, of Southern California. Uh, Southern California. <laughs> <laughs> USC or Notre Dame or Michigan State or New Mexico Highland University anywhere or New Jersey State job University. Goes, job goes like it, that was, it was like that to me. It, it, it was my it, gateway to get out of Sealsburg. You end up in, so how long? And I went to the Job Corps when I got my notice. I said, Dad, I got my notice. I'm going to the Job Corps. I'm Is going to Grant Job Corps. No, he had no idea what it was either. He had no clue. So I explained to him what was going on. He said, "Well, that's great. Good. You, you, you go ahead on. You know, and, you know, and go ahead on. Make and something of yourself." One less mouth to feed. And it's just one less mouth to feed for him. And I, I was happy. Yeah, I was happy as a lark. And by that time, he had married again. So I was happy as a feelock then. So I, I was, I was ready to go. So I got ready to go. I graduated and then uh, graduated ceremony and then June. It went through in July, I, was, I, I got my ticket, and I got on the bus to go out to Grants, New Mexico. Got on the Greyhound bus and rode it out to Grants, New Mexico. And I went to Grants, New Mexico, and I got there in July, and July, and I was July, August, September, and October 1, I was out. Because I got there, I met this counselor, and I think that's where my whole counseling background started from. I got this, met this counselor at the Job Corps. And this counselor, and all this is the outline in my book. You read, gotta read my book, folks. You gotta read yeah, the book of Man Called Green. It's an awesome book. I yeah, really, it, 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 it really I is. I gotta give it credit. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I met this guy, he, he was my counselor, and his name is Philip Pounsel. And uh, he said, you know, and of course he looked at my credentials and all that kind of stuff. And he said, well, you know, what are you here? Why are you here? What are you doing here? You're a high school graduate. You ought to be going off to college somewhere. And I had a little laugh together. They had a little football program there and I participated in that and he said you got some athletic skills you gotta you, you gotta do something and uh, I said I don't know what to do nobody offered me a scholarship when I left high school nobody talked to me and I didn't know what to do other than I wanted to get out of my hometown my hometown I wanted to go to Silsman I mean I wanted to go out I want to get out of Silsman so I did and so I got in the job corps and he said man you know what I'm gonna do I'm gonna look around and check some universities and colleges and see what they think and we're going to come back and get together and talk about it again. Now you was in New Mexico? I was in Grants, New Mexico. Grants, New Mexico is about two and a half, three hours uh, west, uh, southwest of, uh, of, of Albuquerque. How it's Grants. How far was that from Sealsby? Oh, it's a uh, 24 hours day's ride. We, I got on the Greyhound bus one afternoon and it was the next day when I got in Grants, New Mexico, riding the bus all, all day and all night. Greyhound bus. Anything to get out of seals. Uh, that's what I did. That was my drive. Cut the first thing smoking. The huh? first thing smoking. When they told me I was, I, I am going. Where you going? I didn't care where I was going. So you 18 years old. Yeah. Head for the west. Head for the west. The and I'd never, been, and honestly, I had never, other than going to Newton, where my auntie was, I'd never been outside of the state of Texas, never been outside of Sealsby area, never been anywhere. And so I got on that Greyhound bus with my, my duffel bag and my stuff. And I got in there and wrote and got out and got to Grants to Mexico. When I got to Grants to Mexico, the people picked me up at the bus station and took me out to the Job Corps. 
So when you got the job, what, what, what you thought? What I'd have done? Uh, no, I said, wow, where is this? Out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and I, it was exciting bus rides because I had never seen the mountains and the cactus and the green hills. It was all like, wow, this is all a new awakening for me. And when I got there, I said, wow. And that's all I could say. So, so coming out of the seal, the job code was uh, job code of the step for me. And you had a, you had indoor plumbing. Oh yeah, we had, we had dormitory facilities. So now you didn't really move that. Yeah, because I had you know of course I you know I. But as your senior I, year, y'all had running water then, right? Yeah. By the time we by the time I got my senior, year, we got water sophomore my freshman year I think between eighth grade and ninth grade we got water into the house we got water in the house. Then we got, my dad got an indoor bathroom built inside and uh, he got stove and a refrigerator and we had remodeling in the kitchen, that kind of stuff. We always kept one stove in the house. I mean, one heater had heaters in the house. You had, at that time we had gotten space heaters put in by then. The gas lines put in, butane gas lines. There was no natural gas coming into the house. We had to get butane tanks. So, would y'all, Moving on to another level. Now, right? Well, I think so. So, but now you're in. I'm in Grants, New Mexico. Mexico. Yeah, and my counselor said, "Any, anyway, we, we we got to talking. We, we we built a relationship, I guess. You know, a counselor and and mentee. And he said, well, what are we gonna do? We are gonna wait a while. And we are gonna get through this month. Next month, we're gonna look at some universities. I'm gonna make some calls." And I'm gonna so, get back. So what about you. the other three guys? He done the same thing for the other three guys. No, the, no, I'm sorry. The other three guys. We we all thought when we joined the job club, we all thought we was going together. Maurice went to Missouri. Noble went to Texas, and Robert went to I, Oregon. You went to four different places. We all went to four different places. We split up. They split us up. They wouldn't let us go. To, he said no. A, B, and C. We all went different places, and I ended up going to Grants, New Mexico, by myself. Uh, that was a bomb, wasn't it? Huh? Yeah, we got we we, we 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 went out and partied that night, you know, drank beer in our favorite spot. But for the most part, it was uh, it was okay. I, I was I was okay. I got on that bus and I got to Grants, and when I got to Grants, I you know that was life. And I got to Grants, and within that two months, counselor worked some deals, and then he we left there one afternoon and went to visit some colleges and university in New Mexico. And as a result of that, I ended up at New Mexico Highlands University in Las Vegas, New Mexico. Good. And from New Mexico Highlands University, I, you know, I went there, filled out an application, and told them I was interested in playing football. And uh, they asked, I have no films, I have nothing other than I'm on and walk on, New Mexico Highlands University was on a quarter system at that time, and I went in in the spring quarter, and uh, and winter quarter, and I went in January of 67 there as a as a student, and it was a, it was a shock wave. I was, uh, I, 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 I learned, it was a huge learning curve for me, but it's what I had to do to survive, and I went through that whole process, and, and in terms of getting in school, getting financial aid and uh, getting financial aid and moving into a dormitory and living in, and, and surviving and I, I learned how to do that. I mean you had to learn uh, quite a few things. Yeah I learned from yeah. a family where there was no none zero no kind of support none and you had, not only did you end up in the NFL yeah more importantly you yeah. end up being doctor yeah 
yeah. letter Gary, yeah. PhD. Yeah. With no no level of education that you thought. No, no, never. So how did you focus on education and get to going to get a PhD? That just that means you want to be in football. I think it was just about constantly working on improving me and making me better. And uh, the bullies were not always physical. Some of them were mental. And as a result of the mental bullying and as a result of the physical bullying and as a result of the the lack of support of people just uh, in, inspiring you and encouraging you to move on, I just uh, I just kept going. I kept I mean, driving myself. I, I, I'll share that with you. As I left the Job Corps as a result of Mr. Pouncil, I then got into Mexico Highlands University. And when I got to Mexico Highlands University and going into my second year, I met this man called Ken Johnson who became my mentor. Okay, okay. Before we get to Ken Johnson, yeah. though, anybody in your family got a PhD? No. College degree? No. Anybody no. you grew up around? No. That? No, no, so, no, no, so how no. did you go from, no, no, no. I just, from zero was, to a It was just a drive. Nobody. And nobody nobody in my hometown, I'll say that publicly, or at my high school ever said, Leonard Garrett, you have this potential to do this and this and this. Nobody, has nobody spoke, ever, nobody nobody spoke, spoke that, into that into my so, life. But I know you do. I, I want to make sure that I, I do say this. Yeah. Not only have you done it to, for me, many, yeah. many times, yeah. I hear you do it to a lot of people. Yeah, I do. You're always speaking. Yeah, I got to speak. Uh, positive aff affirmation. You have to. And others lie. It's about connecting with them. It's about letting them know that they have an opportunity to, to move forward. They have an opportunity to make things happen for themselves. They gotta, you got to go internally to deal with external stuff. If you don't so, go internally, you can't deal with external, in my opinion. So because no one spoke yeah, no positive one. affirmation yeah. in your life. Right. You feel a need to speak into others. Yeah, I, I, I keep trying to pay, paint it forward. And that's about inspiring. That's about connecting. That's about letting people know. That's about looking them and facing them and confronting them and not be afraid to share you with them and letting them understand it is all about how we can collectively make a difference. And I just take that, what's been given to me, by this great power that that that's in me to say you know we you know you can do this too because I I you know man, when I was in high school I had no other idea. Word, without bragging of yeah. bragging, braggadocious yeah you can you can honestly say look what I did yeah I could you, I mean I, without I you know when you're I, not saying that to no, no. you just want to say look I no. I had no clue I had no, I had no idea. clue no look clue what I, yeah I could so but I never have do. I never have because. I just believe that there's a greater power, there's a greater resource, there's a greater, there's a greater person in me than I don't need to step out and say, look at what I've done or here I am. I'm here to say I did this, so, so can you. And I came from here, I came from zero to a hundred and it's not because of people, it's because it is because it's because I knew somewhere down the road it's all going to be okay. In other words, you you basically saying that really none of us have an excuse. You got to make up your own mind. You got to make up your own mind. I'm gonna do for myself. You, you got to do for yourself. No matter what the situation. No matter what, what situation. Your environment that's exactly you work, man, exactly. You got to have a made up mind. You got to have a made up mind. You got to want to do it. You got to want to do it for yourself. 
So that's why you so hard on other folks. Yeah, yeah. So don't take it personally. No. Dr. Garrett hard on me and everybody yeah, I, I, I do. do. Because he figured I come from here. Yeah. My mom left me. Right, right. My dad never was gave me the support. He took care of me, made sure we had food to eat, but I, you, you never had that, I guess, called uh, complete support of a family structure. That's probably true. Probably true statement. I never had that 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 family support, that that caring, that loving, that that enables you to say that you are loved. And I believe that somewhere down the road, we all aspire for that. We all want that, and we all look for that. But I realized that it just never came. And when my dad died, then my mom died. And uh, you know, it just it wasn't there. And then you were still looking for that even before they passed. Yeah, you know, with, with my still, mom. You're still a child. To I'm still a child. Dad. My mom and dad. You know, you know. And no matter how old you are. No matter how old I am. But I learned to accept it. I learned to accept it because it just never happened. As when I was in high school and when I went to college, it never happened. But I, I think I decided early on after I got to college and. Got to playing ball, playing sports, I mean, playing football, and, and going through college life. It just wasn't going to happen. And you know, when I met my mentor in college, and he he poured he poured living into me and and a desire to want to achieve. And so that's what I've done. That's what I keep working on. So and the, so you basically had to survive. Yeah. As from five, really before five. Yeah. So you've been yeah. surviving. Yeah. So that's yeah. I subconsciously. Without your dad, really, like, he teaches you yeah. survival. He taught me survival. You want to eat, you got to go. Get you got to eat, you got to go get. Whatever it. you want, whatever you, you want, gotta make it happen. And my own way, he did. He taught me how to survive. He taught me to survive in situations when they were un unfriendly towards you. To survive, to how to survive a situation when they were with you and when they were against you. And so he just taught me how to survive in a system that existed. And you're talking about at that time a segregated system that you had to learn how to survive in. And so that's sort of that's what I've done. And you have done an awesome job. I think so. I, I you know I think no, I've done no, a, I think I've done a hell of a job. I think I've done a great job. I've had a great life and it's uh, all been wonderful. And I'm gonna tell you, you know, young ladies there he's a, he's a still a great catch. He's a yeah. he's, a, <laughs> he's, a, he's a he's a very disciplined man. He works out, he looks good oh, yeah. physically. Yeah. And uh, he got he got some money in the bank. So, <laughs> <laughs> I would encourage you, you're looking for a good, hard-working man, retired. Retired man now, not hard-working anymore. Retired at working at, but, but, at enjoying life. But he's cheap, ladies. I'll let you know he's cheap. <laughs> he'll, he'll buy you a good meal and a drink. That's what you're going to get out of him. That's about all you're going to get. The rest of you got to bring it. Now, but, but you end up at, from the University of Holland. Uh, New Mexico Highlands University. New Mexico Holland University. Yes. What was the next thing? No, you were telling about, about Mr. Ken Johnson. Mr. Ken Johnson, who was became my mentor and he worked with me. He, 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 and, I, and he's of another persuasion. Yeah, it, it, it was like, and I'm a sophomore going into, going into college. You know, my first three, four quarters at Highlands were rough, rough, rough. It was rough. It just rough. Rough, what you mean rough? Academically, I, I was struggling. <laughs> I'm struggling. I mean, struggling. I'm, the brother was struggling. I, I, don't, I don't have no problem with that. I own up to it in my book. But it, uh, I met him and I learned. I met him and I didn't like him because he, he jumped me. He, you know, I went in and talked to him about, you know, you know, 
my next semester, my next quarter, you know, classes and that kind of stuff. And they had assigned me to him. And he walked in. I mean, I go walk in his office. He said, sit down and have a seat. I'll, I'll be with you in a second. So I did that. And then he sat down and started talking to me. And I said, well, yeah, I'm little Gary. And he said, I know who you are. And, uh, and he said, uh, you know, yeah, I know you. And uh, you could do better. You can be better at what you're doing. You know, you need to get your shit together, you know. And I'm like, and I'm saying, who is this white boy talking to me like this? You know, just out the blue. He just comes and says, I don't know where. He was saying, get what together? What was hey, what I was saying, he said, he said, you know, you can become a better blocker and you need to gain some weight. You need to get some speed. You need to focus a little bit more on playing football so and doing something. He saw that. Now I'm thinking, and now this is my first time meeting him. I had never met. I've seen him on campus. Everybody talk, was talking about. I've seen him on campus. I'm like, so I go in and talk to him. He said, you know, you can do this. And I'm and I'm thinking, who is this white boy talking to me this way? I first time I'm meeting this white man. But as a result of that conversation, it led to a lifetime mentoring, caring relationship. To and friendship day, to, to this day, day to this day, day. yeah you and, uh, and his wife y'all all yeah we all have and, they yeah. treat you like a son yeah yeah it was and it, it, it built from there and whatever happened that day to this day it's been tremendously for me he i learned how to love and be loved and i learned how to accept and and and, and, and accept and i learned how to to move forward and I learned how to accept the good, the bad and indifferent. And I just, as a result of my extended conversations with him and her, his wife, I learned how to become me. Well, I don't know if that's good. Oh, I, I think it's great. <laughs> I think because I, I think I was doomed Some for- Some of us are questioning. Yeah, I probably, a whole bunch of my, but I, I, I think it's great because it, it has, it has, it empowered me. They empowered me to be me. And it, it has taken Whatever a long time. Like. Whatever, Whatever that looks like, they empowered me to be me. And they provided me with, 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 uh, I, I want to say eternal love that helped me to one, love myself, to be with myself and to accept myself as it is. And as a result of that, I've been able to to maintain me. They done, I would say, people of European descent. Yes. Done what your mom nor your dad was able my, to do. My, what it's oh, able no to do. No family member, no family What did not do for me. So you went, they cared, you went, my you dad. Outside. To I, I, I guess so. I, I, it was wait until I got to college why I realized that all this was going on. And, and it, it, it didn't happen overnight. That was a struggle because I struggled with him, but then. He was always there. He was always there. He always appeared and he opened his his heart. He opened his wife, she opened her heart. Then they opened a home. They opened a life. And they opened and they allowed me to grow into them as one and they into me as one. And the love and the caring that I have for them, it's it, it's 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 just it's it's it, it's where it needs to be. I wish I only wish, as I as I think back, because I wish that I had this with my mom or dad. But I think I had it with my mom, because I love my mom. You know, in all of her struggles, I eventually ended up taking care of her in her later years in life, and uh, made sure she was okay. And she didn't, you know, and uh, it worked. 
It has worked. So we're going to thank Mr. Ken Johnson. Ken, Johnson and, Ken and Jane Johnson, yeah. For being there. For being there. For opening the doors. For opening. Give you that which you didn't yeah. even know you needed. I didn't know I needed because, you know, I thought I was going, I was doomed for a failure. And you must have been 20, 21 years old. Oh, 20, 21 years old. And from there, you went on to. After graduating from Highlands University, I uh, left uh, there. I was drafted by Green Bay Packers. So what year in were you 19, drafted? I was drafted in 1971. I was uh, I was a uh, 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 15 round draft choice by the Green Bay Packers. Back I, then, back, back then, then high, I was how I was I was in high cotton. Me high. drafted by the Packers. Wow. It, it, there, there was nowhere in your no, 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 never thought. And you was 15 round draft choice of the yeah, Green Bay the Green Bay Packers. And how did you receive that call? How, how did you get? Through? Well, just like you know, you know, years years we we had a couple other players ahead of us, like friend Mac and I. My roommate and I, we were both drafted at the same year. My roommate at the time was Mac Evans, but Kenny Evans. He was the defensive back, and we were both seniors, and he was drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was in the 13th round, and then he got drafted first in the, in the second day, and then the, on the second day in the 15th round, I was drafted, and we like, Damn, this is it, you know. Y'all big time. They were man. big time, and you know, I drafted by the Packers, man. I thought I was, I died going to heaven, and man. Mac is still your running your partner. He's right? still my friend today. And Mac is someone you talk about in the book. He's one of the person that I, that yeah, I talk in detail man. because I know him, and uh, and I, I, you know, he. Matter of fact, we at Max Evans' house right now. Oh yeah, we had, we're doing this podcast at his house. Absolutely, because I came down to visit him this week, just to visit, check on him, I check on him, and make sure everything is okay. Now, the word. Who started calling you? Oh, it really started. Now, I guess we really, really go back to really the Dane Graveyard was an inspirational uh, call out by a friend of mine in Grant Jobco. It goes back to Grant Jobco. I got to give him my boy. His name is uh, Ron. And uh, Ron, that's one from Louisiana. That's one from Louisiana who's uh, at the Jobco with me. Well, I met him at the Jobco. Ron Nicholas. What, what part of Louisiana he was from? He was from, uh, I, I believe, the New Orleans area. So he had disappeared. I don't know where Ron is today. Ron, and at the job corps, I met two buddies. One was Ron Nicholas, and the other was James Cozy. They both were from the Louisiana area. And I don't know Cozy where they are today. It's a local name, but he was from the New Orleans area. Okay. And uh, Ron went out to work for the job corps. He left the job, he went to work for the job corps center. His last assignment was up in Wisconsin somewhere because I'm, he came to see me at one of the games I played my second year in Green Bay. He came to one of my games and as I was walking out, he called me and I'm like, who the hell knows me, my graveyard? Nobody knows me but him because he, Ron is the one who gave me the name Graveyard, Ron Nicholas. And I was in, it was, we were in, we were in uh, camp, I mean, we were at the Job Corps and we were, was he was in my suite you know we had bunk beds of course and he was it was four to a room and he was uh he was in there and he would he'd always say and and i i, I sort of understand it now i had this look I, I i just didn't i had a stare a dead man stare that i had no feelings no nothing i was just walking through life just taking it as if and he said man you walk around like a graveyard all the time Somebody just got out of high school yeah, yeah. saw you in that yeah. light. Saw me in that light. And that's right. Because when I got to Grant, you know, I mean, within within three days, I'm there. He said, man, yeah, yeah. We, man, they will forget it. We were walking down the hall, getting ready. 
you know, going into the child hall. And he said, man, you, you walk around like a graveyard, bro. I'm thinking, why? They get it together. Yeah, right? yeah. he said, you walk around like a graveyard. He said, come you got to get it. You got to, you come on, bro. You got to get it together here a little bit. And I'm thinking, graveyard? Okay. And I, you know, graveyard. He, then, then he started calling me graveyard. You know, all right, graveyard, let's go. We got to go to child. Graveyard, let's go. Okay. So I got backed off of that. And uh, so I left there. You got the title of your book for Ron. Ron, you're some royalty, Ron. Right, right. Wherever you are, Ron, it's because of you. A man called Graveyard. You got a little money. He feeds something. Yeah, and that's kind of where it started from. And that name followed me to New Mexico Highlands University. And uh, it got to Highlands through running back by the name of Carl Garrett who were drafted by uh, New England Patriots, Boston Patriots at that time. Y'all kin? No, no kin, just a different set of Garrett. Everybody thought when I came there that I was Carl Garrett's brother or cousin and I had no, I didn't know who Carl Garrett was. I had no he idea. He was a bad boy. He was a tough running back back then. Tough. Great athlete on the field. Great athlete on the field. And so, you know, we met Occasionally, you know, as a rookie coming there, and then I played two years with him while he was, while I was there at Highlands, and uh, he too. He he would come in my room and see you know see see you know as players we shared records we shared stuff you know because we all lived in I lived in this athletic dorm, and he would walk in by my room he came in my room stuck a head in there I had uh, Ron and Grant I had some records he had I had labeled them. He said, this is graveyard, this is graveyard, this is graveyard. And so Carl Garrett was coming through there and Carl Garrett said, you know what? You do walk around here like graveyard too. You act like you just a graveyard, you know, you know. So, so, I, I wouldn't, I, I have no emotions. Okay. I, had, I was just a still face because I'm like, I'm lost. I'm like, I'm a zombie. I'm walking around, what, what's really going on with me? And, and so that, I'm on the field. Blocking for call, and we end the drill, and he yells out, Graveyard, block for me, I'm coming. Everybody look around, Graveyard. I'm talking to him right there, y'all. That's him, he's Graveyard. <laughs> and that name stuck. Because that people say, well, yeah, you act like you act like, well, graveyard. basically, they, they would notice me my first year there, and that's what I was doing. I was all by myself. I didn't know anybody. Going to Highlands, I didn't know a soul. I didn't know anybody. My roommates were from Hawaii, one was from Hawaii, one was from California, I mean Albuquerque. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know a soul. And you you was even, if, I guess in your mind, like nobody wanted to get to know you. Nobody wanted to get to know me. And nobody, wanted to and nobody, nobody wanted to have this conversation with me. So I did, And I didn't have a conversation with anybody. I didn't talk to anybody. I you didn't, didn't talk to anybody for the first few years. For the first two years. I didn't, for the first three semesters there, I would go to class, go back to my room, and I didn't go to practice until that, that, that I went into winter quarter. I didn't go to practice until the spring quarter. So that at fall quarter there, I was pretty much to myself. My roommate was a young white boy from Albuquerque, and other sweet mates was from uh, Hawaii. And I never interacted with anybody. I always stayed they, to myself. They probably said, oh, he racist, he Yeah, well, I, at that time, they just, he's strange. I, we, there was no conversation. I'd go to Chow Hall, I'd come back to the dorm go, and, you know, call myself studying or walk around campus. I just, I was always to you, myself. You had no interaction none. with other, no. other college no. students? No, none so at all. So college life was... College life was, didn't exist until my junior and senior year. When you started playing sports? When I started playing sports. Not only I started playing sports, but when I got recognized in sports, because my first, 
my first year there, I was still like nobody, you know, and Cole Garrett would pick on me. And here again, I call it kind of bullying because he'd yell out, Graveyard, Graveyard. And then a lot of the players, a lot of players knew me as Graveyard, didn't know my name. <laughs> they would call me Graveyard, and then they'd learn, oh, you Leonard Garrett, you Carl Garrett's brother. No, I'm not Carl Garrett's brother, no, I'm his cousin. We're just a different set of Garrett. And so that's kind of where that whole thing where, erupted where from. Carl Garrett's, Carl Garrett's from Denton, Texas. Went to Fred Moore High School in Denton, Texas. But there's no none relation. I checked it at. Oh. I checked into that. There's no just a different set of Garrett's. But you also had a brother to play pro football. My that's interesting. Man. It is. It was, and uh, he was. Uh, I was in my junior year, going to my senior year, and he was playing ball in Sealsby, Texas. And, and at the, at that time, Sealsby had integrated as only one high school. Of course, they demolished and burned down the black school and they made everybody go and force everybody into the white school. So he was going to Sildy High School and he, they, everybody was saying he was a pretty good little student athlete in the wide receivers. I never seen him play. So I went to my head coach and I said, coach, I have a brother that's in a wide receiver and maybe, you know, maybe interested in getting another wide receiver in here. He's, you know, and he said, well, you know, Leonard, what you can do is tell him to send me some films or let me look at him and or I'll do some talking about him. And I said, okay. And uh, so as a result of that, I communicated that to him and uh, he communicated back to the head coach. And then my brother came up there my senior year as a, as a rookie. And he played there for a year. His name is Reginald Garrett. And he eventually came there, played there a year. And then two years later, they closed down the athletic program at Highlands. And he left there and went to uh, Eastern Michigan University where he graduated from. And with, a, with a business degree and uh, he graduated from Eastern Michigan the next season he was uh, signed on as a free agent with the Pittsburgh Steelers and he played with Pittsburgh for three years and went to two Super Bowls two Super Bowls two Super back-to-back -back Super Bowls on the, with Terry Bradshaw and the people up in Pittsburgh he went to two Super Bowls he played in both and he played in both now that's pretty interesting yeah yeah so, yeah, yeah. He's, I mentioned him in the book I gave him some kudos in my book because you know I, I I don't know. I, I call it I lifted him up and I touched him and tried to get him and as well as his twin brother out of Silsby because you know, here again I just have this thing about, you know, we can't we gotta keep lifting our brothers and sisters up. We can't never push them you, down. We gotta you lift say them his up. His twin brother, like a separate of your family. You. Well, that's his twin brother. They grew up together. They're twins, you know. It's his twin brother. It's my brother, but that's his twin brother. But they were like nine years, ten years younger than you? No, they are no, they are Four years. That's right, because you were graduating yeah. from college. Yeah, I was graduating when they were played coming. played together for yeah, one year? for one year. I was leaving college as he was coming into college. So y'all so didn't, didn't play, okay, your senior year? My senior, he came in my senior year. So y'all played? He was, oh, was a team, he was a freshman, I was a oh, senior, okay. graduated. Okay. And then he stayed one more year, and then he set the program down. He went to Eastern Michigan and went to his graduation, what have you. And uh, he, uh, he went to Pittsburgh State and stayed there three years and went to two Super Bowls and then third year hurt his back, got injured and he didn't play, never did play again. But he got two Super Bowls. He had two Super Rings that he reminds me of when he wears them all the time so I understand that. It's not like you hate all your brother. No, I, I just want to say that. Don't let it be known. Hey, you hate all your brother. You got you two Super Bowls. That's, two of them. That yeah. says a lot. That, that speaks for, for itself right there. That's two exactly right. Two Super Bowl rings. Oh, wait, wait. 
Yeah, yeah. it's good for him. I know. I'm, I'm proud of him. Your big brother, the, big brother, proud of him. Yeah. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. Hey, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, for, for, I'm glad for him. But I mean, your football career. Takes football career was was a new experience, a new awakening. But it was a great opportunity for me. I went through it. I, I was drafted, played Green Bay, had a, had a great career up there, I think, under Dan Devine, who was a head coach. It was a great career, in my opinion. I stayed there. I made three years there. I came to New Orleans and I made uh, a year and a half there under John North, who was a head coach. John North played on Archie Man and those guys down there. I left out of the air and I went to San Francisco. And uh, from San Francisco, I finished up my career. And then when I finished San Francisco, I just realized that there was there was something else calling for me to do. And I went back and finished my master's and went to the great state of Louisiana to go to work. And uh, that's why I went into Capital City High School with Roman Bates. And from Roman Bates, I stayed there two years and left out and went into the higher education system. You coached at Capital Senior High School. That is correct. What year was this? Uh, I think it was uh, 79 or 80. I came in as coach of Capital Senior High School under Roman Bates. I was so you the, worked under the legendary. I worked under legendary coach Roman, Roman Bates. Who just correct. passed Yeah, some two or three years ago. Years That's, ago. That is correct. Worked under him. About a year and a half I worked there. You worked with another good friend of mine, brother by the name was Greg Brown. I worked with brother Greg Brown and, and, and brother Brewster too. Herman Brewster. Herman, Herman Brewster. Don't Brewster. Brewster. Okay. Yeah, Herman, Brewster. Don't, don't Forgive Brewster. me, Brother Brewster. 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 <laughs> Herman Brewster. Uh, Greg and Herman. Yeah, good group of guys. Good, good. We had a good organization, good team. It, it was tough. It was a tough time. But, uh, you know, under the leadership of, uh, of Roman Bates and uh, Mr. Keel, who was, pre who was, who was uh, principal over there, it, it was tough, but we worked through it. And, and so, how long did you stay? I stayed there for two years. You realized that coaching wasn't for you? I realized coaching was not for me, that I wanted to go do something else, and so I, str I struck out to start doing other things with my life and for my life. So what got you to the place after two years you realized you didn't want to coach? I, I, I uh... A former athlete? Yes. Played in NFL? I yes. I played in NFL for five years. Who you played for? Green Bay Packers, drafted by them, New Orleans Saints, and uh, San Francisco 49. You played with the, the, the New Orleans Saints? Yes. All right, we got the Saints here. Yeah, I got the Saints here. Okay. I'm so, Saints here. All of a sudden, you, you say, I'm going to go do some high school coaching. I'm going to try I'm gonna try out high school coaching, and I think <laughs> I tried it out. And I realized that it wasn't for me. You know, coaching just wasn't the thing I wanted to do. And so as a result of that, I decided that I was going to leave coaching, and that, that's what I did. But you, you, you truly enjoy mentoring young men. Yes. So why yeah. was not coaching a good choice for you? Uh, I think at that time I realized that uh, there was more to it than X's and O's and uh, putting in the long hours. You can be, want to become a mentor and be a mentor, but the amount of time and energy that was put into football, coaching and training and uh, scouting. You know, I remember on Thursday nights and Friday nights and on Saturdays, even on Sundays, we sitting there scouting, watching football, watching uh, films, uh, grading films and looking at players on films. And I just found I, myself just logged into doing something I really didn't enjoy and didn't, and I, I wasn't having any fun with it. And so I figured that I had to go do something else that was going to reward me and be more kind to me in my professional career. So. I gave up coaching and went into the area of higher education, and higher education has, you know, blossomed me into who I am today. But, but also, there was a, there was some situation that happened at Capitol. 
there were a number of things that, that, that happened at Capitol. That, that helped that process, right? <laughs> there were a number of things that went on at Capitol that had helped me you, to you make share, that process. That's what makes me contact. That's so what I'm interested and excited. So you got to share a couple of stories. Oh, that, man. That I've heard about before. The, uh, you know, it, it, it was a uh, capital was uh, was a growing uh, institution and in the midst of, uh, you know, where it is over there in the park and uh, off the uh, off the highway there. And there were just a number of things that was going on that combined and caused internal and external concerns for me as I was trying to matriculate myself through the system because I'm just coming out of professional football. I'm going to go into coaching. I'm going to do this because I watch, I've seen all these other great coaches I had in my life and I thought it would be ideal. But knowing me, I went in thinking everything's going to be okay. But there was a couple of incidents there that I just said, this is not for me. This is not what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and do something else. When uh, players, when I, one of the things, the first, when I got there, the first night, not the first night, the first weekend we had a football game. I parked my car out front and I came back and my car was totally destroyed and torn up, windows knocked out. I said, okay, that's a welcome to the college, to the, to, to the high school campus. And then I, you know, of course, insurance paid all that, got that taken care of, and then come back. There was another incident as a result to, uh, as related to a couple of my coaches, friends who got injured during that time. I won't go into the details of the whole process. History books will tell the story on that. So I, I just, I decided no, that no. this wasn't for me. Who wrote the history? Because you got to tell us the history. I never written it, wrote it. So, Someone would write it other than Leonard so, Garrett. So, so, in other words, there was a shooting on the campus. There was a shooting on the campus. What, what caused the shooting? I, 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 to this day, I really don't know, but I know it was it was brought on by you know some former students or current students who were attending the school at that time, and I think they were just angry and as disgruntled, and they you know of course they took it out on on innocent people who were just doing that so, doing their job. Now this happened forty years or so. Yes, yes, at Capital Senior High School. And one of our friends was shot at that time. Yeah, one of our friends, one of my uh, colleagues, were he was injured at that time. But, but not life's not life sustaining injury, but enough injury to remind him and to constantly remind him of what did happen during that day, that night, and that evening at yeah. Capital Senior High School. And then that helped you to? It was timing because I was, uh, I was unhappy camper. I enjoyed the teaching part of, uh, of, of being there, but I just didn't like coaching. I just didn't care for coaching at all. It just wasn't in my blood. It just wasn't what I aspired to do. I, I'm good, I was good. I, 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 I made a good decision for me. You made a good decision. Now, you yeah. know, we don't want, of course, in the, in the time of a lot of triumph but violence in our community, yeah. you know, we don't need any more of this, but we're saying it's been going on too long. It's been going on for a long time, and somehow in a way we still got to figure out a way to fix this thing. You know, I, I think education is, 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 is it's, uh, it's paramount that it, it, it exists, it needs to be there, we need to find better ways to connect, and involve and ensure that our young men and young women receive the educational opportunities that's available K through 12. And they need, we need to ensure that whatever we need to do, we need to ensure that they understand the need for them to be educated. And once they're educated, they can have a weapon to step out into the real world. And it's, it's still significant today as it was 40 years ago when I first came into Capital Senior High School and into the, into the K through 12 system. It still is, it's an essential element and a tool that must merit itself. 
in our system and in our society. You were at the table when we formed PAS, what we call PAS today, which stands for Professional Athletes Supported Student. That's he correct. He's also one of our past presidents of PAS. Past president of PAS and also past president of the Baton Rouge chapter of NFL Player Association. Right. That, that was the first thing. That's how we got started. That was the first thing. It's really kind of we began this friendship and kinship where it's with the uh, uh, NFL PA chapter that we developed here in Baton Rouge. And out of that, as a result of that, birth out of that was passed, professional athletes supporting students. And out of all of that, our relationship and friendship continued to grow. See, now I wouldn't even think about the NFLPA, which, right. which we started. Did they have a chapter in New Orleans at the time? They had a chapter in New Orleans this night, and because of the large number of NFL players who have lived and retired here in the Baton Rouge Metroplex area, we thought it was time to bring one in the Baton Rouge Metroplex. So that's what we pushed for, and it worked for about four to Five years, six years. Matter of fact, our number was bigger than the New Orleans. Our numbers were growing bigger than the New Orleans chapter. That's correct. But all of a sudden, the NFL decided quite a few years ago that they only need to be one. All need to be one chapter. In one New chapter per state, and then that chapter went down to New Orleans, and that's where the chapter is for the. New Orleans got it by default. New Orleans received it by default. <laughs> that is correct. Because we had a bigger chapter and like more guys involved. We had a bigger engaged. chapter, engaged, connected, doing some things, building some relationships with people in the community, and doing a lot of good things, I think. Now, where where you get this idea, this notion, this, in your mind, I'm going to go get a PhD. Coming from Sealton, Texas, barely can read. No, you have to be a pretty decent reader. I had, well, I could always read, but I yeah, sometimes your interpretation was bad, but I was fumbling around and I, I you know it, it just followed my career I was at I was at left Capital Senior High School and that was about six months there I was just wandering around trying to figure out what to do with myself and then I had an uncle that was in uh, Hammond Louisiana my daddy's sister's son he was a veterinarian and uh, he lived in Hammond and he kept saying man you are what was his name Johnny Garrett Dr. Dr. J.L. Garrett. Who just passed by the years. He just passed about two years ago. You're correct. Okay. And so he, he kept telling me, man, you want to look at a job down at Southeastern. Southeastern? I don't know nothing about Southeastern. I'm working in Baton Rouge with the Census Bureau and they're with me. And so I, he said, you know, apply for a job. So he said, you know, I'm going to send you some information about a couple of openings and you, you know, see if you do. So he did and I applied for it and I got the job. And I went to work down in Southeastern in yeah, 1980. Doing, doing what? I was working for what they call TRIO programs. TRIO program are three uh, federal programs. There's Upper Bound, there's Student Sports Services, and there is, um, I forgot the other one. Anyway, they're three solid programs, Upper Bound, TRIO, and uh, uh, Outreach, something like that. Oh, oh, so now I see how the PhD comes about. So once you got yeah. the job at the university, yeah. Yeah. Everybody PhD was telling you what to do. Everybody PhD was telling me what to do, <laughs> and none of them looked like me. <laughs> so you decided. Well, hold I decided on, long ago. I said I, I got to do I, something. I'm just, I'm just as smart, yeah. and bright as yeah. they are. Yeah. yeah, I just don't have a PhD. That's right. That's right. So I said, you so know, that was a motivating. That was, a, that was, a, that was really one of the motivating factors. And and you work and you see people who didn't look like you and at Southeastern there were not there were not a lot of people like me well, looking like me working. Don't have a long head big yeah well they're not so long they, you know <laughs> they just didn't look like me and they didn't talk like me they didn't shine like me so I said you know wow I'm gonna continue to be taking orders from these people and uh, I just decided I was gonna do something about it for myself 
And so I had my master's when I got there and I decided that I was going to work on uh, getting a terminal degree. So when, when, when did you and my first, my, my first try at a PhD program was at LSU. That did not work out. Uh, there was some real drama there. And there what, was some what, some bullying in, in higher education, higher education administration, and uh, there was some misfortunes there. And I went from there to UNO, and there was some misfortune there. And then I applied for interest into grad school at the University of Southern Mississippi in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and I made an application there. I was accepted in, and I went to work there, and I. <sighs> Commuted for two and a half, three years back and forth. Well, you I got worked at Southern Miss? No, I didn't. I worked at Southeastern Louisiana Southeast. University. Okay. Yeah, I went from, and I first started working at Southeastern, I commuted every day for about, and I, I commuted all my life, really, to tell you the truth, from Baton Rouge to Hammond, Baton Rouge to Hammond. And then when I started going to school in Southern Mississippi in Hattiesburg, I commuted from Baton Rouge to Hammond, spent the night in Hammond, went to school that night, came back to Hammond, went to work, and then left Hammond the next day, and then came back to Baton Rouge. I did that for three and a half years. Three and a half years? Commuting. I was commuting. You was married at that time? I was married at that time. My wife was assistant principal, then eventual principal. We had got married, had a daughter, and so I, I worked all that in. I, I went A to B to C and C to B to A every day, now, and that was now, weekly. Now Two days a week I did that. Commuting to Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Working on your PhD. I'm working on my PhD. But at the same time, you still working. I'm working every day. At Southeastern. Every day. So Amen. miss a day. So you're driving. Yeah. Hundreds I, of miles a day. Hundred miles a day. Sometimes, some semesters I had two classes. I would always go on Tuesday and Thursday. Sometimes I went on Monday, Wednesdays, depending on the you, class you, schedule you I had spend, to take. You spend a night. I would spend the night in Hammond. I'd work it out with my housing director that I needed a place to stay. So we had, you know, adults apartment on campus. I had me an apartment on campus that I stayed in. And I, you know, that was my refuge. I was leave here in the morning, bring enough clothes for two days. I'd go to Hammond, work, leave Hammond three o'clock one day and then drive to Hattiesburg, Mississippi, two hours and 15 minutes, drive to Hattiesburg, Mississippi, go to class for three hours and then drive back home, drive back, drive back to Hammond, spend the night in Hammond, go to work the next day, then come back to Baton Rouge the next day. You did that for three and a half years? I did it for three and a half years. To, to obtain a To PhD. obtain your PhD. So and nobody, I got nobody my, gave you a PhD. No, I had worked you, for you, you worked and it. And uh, those professors at University of Southern Mississippi were, were tough. Were tough. They, take, they didn't take any prisoners. They, you had to get it. You had to show it. You had to get it. And I was always studying. I was always working on me to get me better and go through the system because I didn't I was uh, I just think I was I don't know misused and uh, and bullied and uh, and just done wrong at other schools so it all worked out for me it really did in 1992 I graduated and at, at Southern at, at University of Southern Mississippi my PhD and uh, it all worked well that's the that, that's the type of thing you said in your book your dad showed up for that my dad showed up I invited him why wouldn't you invite him? Well, I said, why, why, why wouldn't I? I invited him. I, I, I had, I had, I had, uh, I had never, I never locked him out of my life. I invited him. He and I, I, I give him credit. He came to my graduation at High, at Highlands University. And when I graduated from there, 
I let my dad know, my mother know, my sisters, my brothers knew I was graduating, and I said, I welcome you all to come. My, brother, my dad came with my uncle and my other uncle, my cousin, and my dad and my sister from California. They all came to my graduation. Did he tell you that day how proud he no, was? No, no, that's one other thing. I, my dad never said, hey man, I'm proud of you. Getting, I'm your first son, your first child to graduate from college. And on top of that, you know and I've been drafted by the Green Bay Packers. I'm going to Green Bay come July. <laughs> Even at that time? At that time, they never said. Son, I'm proud of you. I got pictures of the day at graduation. I still have those pictures today that I look at sometimes. And and the whole time I'm there, you know, I'm thinking he's gonna call me over, pull me over, and say, "Man, you waiting for that? I'm waiting that for that moment. Now I'm you a grown, I'm a grown man. man. Let's I'm a grown, grown man. man. I'm grown man. man. You still waiting for your I'm dad, still to, my tell dad you, to tell I'm me? I'm proud of you. I'm proud I am. I'm son. I'm proud of you. You accomplished a lot. You're my first son. You're my first child to get a college degree. You you have made it possible for your younger brother to get enrolled in college to get his degree to be like you. I'm proud of you. That never happened. Never came out of his mouth. Were you disappointed? But I learned to, as part of that, I learned to just love my dad so, and not hate him and love for him for who he is and learn that I had to be me. I had to take care of me. But, I could no longer. I could no longer. Even as a grown a man, yeah. you thinking, what do I have to do? Yeah, yeah. To, for my dad yeah. To, yeah. to say he probably right, right, right. Because just that, them two letters. Them two letters. Three, two letters. Yeah. So three. Son, I'm proud. Son, of you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud. I, yeah, no, sorry. I'm proud of what you've done. I really appreciate it. You, you, you've I done mean, well. You, you probably you, failed. To, I to probably would have fighting it that right. day because when I, when I, when I graduated from Highlands and was drafted there was a young news reporter in Silsby who wrote an article about me in Silsby B and in the Beaumont Enterprise which is a local paper and I know my dad saw it because it was in the local paper. Well yeah, if you didn't see it everybody brought it to him. Everybody brought it to him. Your son got drafted. That's right. Your son got drafted because it says Garrett Drafted first NFL player from Sealsby, Texas, ever get to ever get drafted. So that all by itself. Was all history. by itself was history right there. And you didn't call me, and say, he, son. He didn't I'm, call you. I, and not to this day. You didn't. You didn't hear from nobody. No. From no. My brothers, my the, sister. The nobody. day you got drafted, or the, in that week, yeah. you didn't yeah. hear from no family. No. Fa no. No. Oh, that, that, that's tough. Then. No, that's tough. That's, I, I I learned to accept it. I learned to okay, I learned to accept that. I learned that long ago I was going to leave that alone. And I was going to take care of me, and that's what I did. Because I, I when when my dad did not say to me on graduation day, "Son, I'm proud of you, and I'm proud of what you've done. I wish you the best luck," and that never happened. So you, so you, you, you have to fix in your mind and your. I fix in my mind. I got to move forward. I got to move forward, regardless. But that, but still, but that's where you get the power of a mother and a father. You just wanted to hear. Yeah, yeah. You just wanted to hear. It would have been great. It would have been. It would have been great. It would have been wonderful. So he, he left this earth never saying that. Ne left this earth, 
I'm, he left this earth. I'm loving him as my dad, but hating him as my father. Okay. But the question you, you yeah. would have, the others, I would have and others would have, would you do the same to your children? No, I, I would not. I, I, I work hard at not letting him become me. Yeah. You know, that, that commercial said you become your, yeah. your parents. That's no, so I don't want to become, you. that's not me. It's, it's been tough, you know, there's been some terrible times and then there, there's been some tough times with my children and, and, and people that I know and my brothers and my sisters that I still love and care for today. But it just, I have done everything in my life to not follow his footsteps. I loved him as my father, but I hated him as my dad. Now, in your book, a man called Gray. Yeah. <clears throat> now you you led it all to bear. Yeah. Yeah. So that means that you told us, I would believe the truth, the whole truth. Yeah. But oh, the truth, not the truth. Yeah, that's what happened, Leonard Garrett. That's right. But that affects your other brothers and sisters. Yeah. It. It. it so some of them did have some effects on them. So how did they receive this? Some of them received it well. Some of them still haven't read the book. <laughs> um, to be quite honest with you, and uh, but, some of them. When did the book come out? The book came out in November first of twenty twenty one. Of twenty twenty one, which is a great read. Huh? Yeah, it's a great what, read. What, but what, some what? of them haven't read it yet. Some of them only read the part that impacted their life. Because I, it, 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 if you read it, you'll see that I talked about each one of them individually, and. Uh, just shared my thoughts on them and what I saw and what I knew of them and uh, some of them have not read it and uh, and, and there are a couple of them have read it. We know, we know brothers and sisters, well, I know her. Yeah, I know I, him, so I, I don't I, want to read it, I, but I, it, I, oh, and oh, he said this about me, I said this about you because you, you need to understand where I'm coming from and it was meant not to hurt you but to share with you, but also to share with you my story because as your brother. Up. You never really no. you used to yourself. I was there so, to myself. So nobody got a, nobody no. ever asked no. Lynn Gary. Nobody ever talked to me about it. How you feel? Lady. What no. you think? Never. So never. you never had a family discussion. No. About that. Oh no, never. Not until this day. You know, I love my brothers and sisters that I referenced in the book, and I still care for them. But I wanted to share my story with them, even though I grew up with them, but they didn't know me. And here's a did you know them? I knew more about them than they knew more about me. Yes, that's why I talk about them in my in my book because I knew them. I know them. So you you paid attention. I paid attention, attention to, to details. To details. I paid attention to details. I paid attention to them. I paid attention to their life, how they grew up, and how they began, how they talked, how they act, how they interacted with me, how they didn't interact with me. I paid attention to them. I recorded their behavior as I was growing up. Mm. And so, there it is. Um, how, how many of us still living? Uh, I have my younger sister, Mona. She's passed away. I have my brother, who's right behind me, Orrin. He passed away. But the rest of us are still living. So that's six out Two brothers. I got a brother and a sister to go. Yeah. We still living. Ooh, but before we... This is so much. We can't cover the book. No, we, we won't. We just talk book. about it. We That's can't okay. Cover your whole uh, life. No, we can't do that. We won't do that tonight. You want to get to one subject. You want to call me one subject. All right, let's go to that one subject that and then we'll. Is that we'll you, show. you happen to be a participant 
Yeah. Employed by the state of Louisiana. I yeah. guess you love working for Louisiana. You love Louisiana, love working for the oh, state of Louisiana. I, I enjoyed it. I had a great experience. So, yeah. And you went on, you came, you left Southeast. I left Southeast and I went to work for Baton Rouge Community came, College. I was one of the ones who the, the, the start of the Baton with, Rouge Community College Bonaparte. system. Bonaparte. What Bonaparte? Marion Bonaparte. So you was here. Yes. Just to jumpstart. Jumpstart, not jumpstart. We jumpstart and built Baton under, Rouge Community College. Under Governor Mike Foster. Under Mike Foster leadership. Mike Foster and Mark Drennan. Mark Drennan. Yes, sir. And you we came developed in, and built. And, and you played, what, what, what role you played? I was the vice president for administrative service and assistant to the chancellor. First of all, how long were you at Southeast? I was at Southeast for 18, 18 years. Oh, 18 years. So you came to Baton Rouge. Yeah. What was your what was your expectation? What was your my expectation that we my expectation that I would come to Baton Rouge and we would build Baton Rouge Community College and I would be there for the rest of my life. That didn't happen. That did not happen. Why did it happen? Well, it did not happen because there was confusion from the leadership under the current chancellor at the chancellor at that time was Marion Bonaparte. It began chaos, and as we grew to open the college, there became a rift between the chancellor his administrative staff and faculty, and that led to the demise of the college. But the college uh, the, co the college still, it led to the demise of the college and their administrators at that time, the because leadership. the leadership of it. And, and it was a combination, the management of the college was both by Southern University Board of Supervisors and LSU Board of Supervisors, who, managed, who helped manage the college and, and, and was a background for the development of the college. Uh, it got to the part where one day, it made local news or made national news. Oh, you news. made local news, national news, I'm sure, because one day he decided he'd fired everybody. <laughs> that, That's right. Uh, how did the president of a community college come in and fire? He just sent you a letter, called you in, said, here's a letter. You get that letter and you say, what? And the letter reads, and, you know, I hereby, as Chancellor of Baton Rouge Winter College, terminate your employment opportunities. Like, well, what? So we all of his administrative chiefs, the vice president, all the vice president, all so the other administrators. It's not like no private company. No. You can't just dismiss people. You just can't dismiss people like that. And he later found that out because we he came in and, you know, and of course, it's a newscast. And once you, you terminate one, you terminate three, you terminate. When you terminate six, seven people on one day and they're all your chief administrators on your campus who have managed and built a college, you terminate them all. And you that's newsworthy. Not News that. get out. Now, now how? Now, and, and he was a brother. <laughs> well, he was a black man. That's it. <laughs> okay, okay, get ready for. And so that was high expectation. You you never worked for. Yeah, I never had. That was my. So, he was my first. So you look at you was excited looking forward. To I was looking forward to and excited about the opportunity to work for a black person. Okay, now in the leadership role. Now this is about two years into into the third year. It was going into uh, we. First, going into the second, third year, they're right. We, we, we worked on the ground, building the college, building the courses, building the LSU platform. We were, L we were on LSU campus. LSU was great enough. We stayed over there, built the college, and then we opened up the college. And then going into the second, going into the second, third year of the college that was open. That's when the chaos began. What was the chaos? What was the chaos? Leadership, management, supervision. There, the lack of and. Uh, just lack of, uh, of, uh, of collaborative fellowship and friendship with people that who are at your same level. Mm. Yeah. And well, so... I had a dear friend, uh, 
I remember Phyllis Mouton. Yes, she, she was working, working there. Time. I was working with her. And my girl Val. Val. <laughs> yes, she was uh, administrative. She yeah. was, she was the head of uh, public relations oh, for Baton Rouge. Oh, good guy. She was good at what she did. Yes, she was good. She was excellent. Yeah. yeah. You know, so you had a pretty good relationship with all. Of them. I every one of them. I, I worked to build a relationship with. Them. I even thought I had a great relationship at the chancellor at that time until just you know like okay. Is this what this is all about? This is what leadership is? You know, I, I remember you that day when they showed it on the news. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, they put a mic They camera. put a mic camera in my yeah. face. You and like, stood up there looking like, you kind of looking like gravy off of real. And I'm day. like, what do you want me to say? The letter is clear. He said you are terminated. There's nothing else to talk about, sir. You look like gravy off Yeah, you. I'm like, I'm, I'm in shock. You're asking me questions about something I don't know anything about. So you know what I'm doing? I'm packing my office up and getting off campus. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I did. I mean, it was, I remember that day. We yeah. Dad Joe Yes. This big old brother standing Yeah, absolutely. Looking good in yeah. the suit. And, yeah. Like, and, was, and he got, like, well. Dumb father, kind of like, no, okay, well, what, what, what do you think? Wait, there's nothing to think about. The letter says, I am terminated. Okay, so I'm packing my office up and I'm getting out of Calf campus. And that's what I did. And do that affect you to this day? No. I think what, what affects me is be, it, it, it was just the behavior at, as an administrator, as a leader, as a black educator, as a possible mentor and mentee, you wonder how can you be that callous? How can you be, how can you not? And why would you do that to us? are to me when I have done everything to lay out to you about how you can be successful in the Baton Rouge area with A, with B, with C, with external people, internal people to build your relationship with others. I have opened the door and provided an opportunity for you and you come back and do this. Oh man, that was tough. That, that, was, that was tough. That was tough. Because now you got to go back and reflect. Cause yeah, yeah. You got to think about your upbringing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, it all comes back to you, but you, you know, I said to myself, this too will pass. But your upbringing, <clears throat> now I'm Dr. Little Gary. Well, you know, I, I never postured that <laughs> way. I'm not you know, but yeah. you know, the your mind plays your tricks mind, on you, yeah. you wonder what, you know, you know so I'm, I'm saying, Gary, yeah. The high up in the same particular I, Yeah, yeah, you absolutely. Know? It kind of makes you wonder, well, what did I do? I, I, I'm supporting you 110% and, and, and giving you all you need to, to be successful. And this is what, what happens. Make you wonder. There are no answers because soon after he did all that and um, the board and uh, management the board management called us all in individually and said well look uh, we're going to put him on leave and you can go back to work tomorrow at your job next week at your job you know it's like having a week off so i took that week off and enjoyed it so everybody, and went, back to work everybody went back to work except him but you soon and I soon left I soon left you here headed, you headed west I headed uh, north, yeah northwest northwest went out to uh, apply for a job out at uh, in the same system at Louisiana Community Technical College system they were developing technical well they already had technical colleges throughout the, the, the state almost in every 
every parish they had a technical college and so therefore they had they had redesigned the technical college system and set up campus provosts and then under that provost you had anywhere from five to six technical college coming under your supervision and management and supervision of personnel and so I applied for the one in central Louisiana which was under the technical college system in Alexander Louisiana and under that I applied and got the job and went to work there and you stayed there for uh, I stayed there for three years and I retired there because at the end of that going into the third year there was another revision of that whole system and they had brought in a new chancellor at that time and he to my lack of understanding today I'll use that completely got rid of all of the black provosts in the system oh all of the black provosts there were six of us and all five of us were terminated you were a black well, you, male or female we were all said terminated. six of y'all but all five were terminated there were six provosts throughout the district okay. and there was a black provost in central louisiana so it was five there was or one, six of y'all there was uh five or six in terms of systems there was one in central Louisiana, there was one in North Louisiana, there was one in South Louisiana, there was one in Alexander, there was one in uh, Lafayette, there was one in Baton Rouge, there was one in uh, Morgan City, there was one in uh, Tallulah. That's seven. And there's one in, uh, yeah, that may be seven, seven, se seven, what you call provost position, and seven different designs of the technical college system. And out of that, there were one, two, three, four, five black provosts working externally oh, in the okay. system. And all of five of us were terminated. Simultaneously. Simultaneously at the same time. We went to a board meeting and a board meeting there was um, look, this thing. Nobody sued them? No, not that I know of. Well, that's interesting. It is, it was. So I, I contemplated that because I'm thinking, you're terminated, but you're terminated based on what? You, you, you're thriving, your, 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 your system is going, you're involved with your campus, with the community, and all of a sudden, you're terminated. You're terminated. Okay, so, so you so, revise the system. So, so, so here graveyard go again. Here graveyard goes again. <laughs> and so I decided to retire. So you retired. I retired from the Louisiana Community Technical System. Then what happened after you retired? I decided that, I, I retired and I said, well, what am I gonna do? I'm thinking, what, you do what am I gonna do now? I'm now married, divorced, and single man living in Alexander, Louisiana. And I'm thinking, I don't wanna stay in Alexander for the rest of my life. So, you know, I applied for a job. Where? I applied for a job, I applied for two jobs. I applied for a job as vice president for student services in uh, Florida and I applied for one in, in Texas, in Dallas. And uh, I was offered both positions. I decided to go to Texas because of my colleagues and my buddies who I played ball with who were now living in the Dallas Metroplex and whatever. I decided to go to Texas there. too. And I'm from Texas. So I said, I'm gonna go to Texas. I'm not going to Florida. I don't wanna go to Florida. Nobody's down there, I know. So I moved to Dallas. And uh, so, so in 2007, I retired in 2006 from here in December and I retired and then in 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 February seventh in February seventh, two thousand seven, I went to work in Dallas Community College System.
And what's the name of the college? I work Dallas County Community College System. I went to work at the Mountain View campus. Doing what? I served as vice president for student service and enrollment management. And I worked there for 14, really, uh, 15 years. I just retired there a year ago. Oh, man. Lady, you hear that? That man got three, four checks coming in. <laughs> <laughs> He's a good catch. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I retired there just last year, and, I, and I'm... And I'm uh, and you wrote the book after you retired? I wrote the book after my going into my last year of retirement. And of course, we had, you know, the COVID stuff. And I was just at home and I was, you know, releasing, letting things out and coming out of work and all that stuff. And couldn't did, go anywhere anyway. I couldn't go anywhere anyway. So I said, you know, I can use this time to be. And then I said, you know what? I'm going to tell this story. I'm going to tell my story. Now, I didn't know what you were going to write about. For about 25 years, you told me you were going to write a book. I told you that. 25 years, I told you that. Write a book. It's always been, I got tired of hearing it. Yeah. And, and that that story was always in me. And when that COVID so hit us. you knew us, you was going to write that book. Yeah, I knew it. I just, and, but when that, that COVID hit, I was at home. You know, I never did get depressed. I was just at home trying to figure out how to, how to use my time. And I just, you know, and I was still working. And I didn't retire until after, but that year of retirement, I said, man, I got to do something. I, I, you know. <laughs> You're not just in the no, I might be You ain't going to no graveyard. I ain't going to no graveyard. I ain't going there. <laughs> so I just started writing. And I just, one night, I, I was sitting there, and uh, I started writing. I had some yellow notepads. Got the yellow notepads, and I just sat there, and I started writing. And then one day, I got up, went to the went to Walmart. Not Walmart, bought me some more yellow notepads, and I just wrote it all out. Took me whew, four months. That's it. You wrote this book in four months. It took me four months to write it. You I, no ghost writing. No ghost. I wrote it. I wrote it by hand. All of it. Wrote it by hand. I, what I would do, I get up two hours in the morning, and write, and take a break, go look at the TV, be stupid, do my workout, do my meditation. Then I come back in the afternoon, write for three hours, and then I go at night. At night, I would, you know, I shut it down, go to bed, and uh, I leave it there. And I and I wrote it for. It took me four months of just working on it, and I wrote it all out. And I must say once again, you did an awesome yeah, job. Well, I, when I picked the book up to read it, yeah. I said, "Oh Lord, it's gonna be." I'm just my uh, partner. Yeah. Read the book. <laughs> I got it. I owe him that. Yeah, you did owe me that to read. Yeah, right, right. And I said, it might take me about two, three months, yeah. you know, to read the book. Yeah, but but I, I, I'm committed, but I've got to be honest. I picked the book up. I read the book in about, I'm going to tell you, seven, yeah. eight days. Eight days. That says a lot for me That's to read it. a book. How many pages is it? It's 270 pages. No, it, it, ain't no, it, ain't, it ain't no book with just no, no. you know, books no, about, all, about, about, the, no. about, about the law, about the no. Bible, no. about a no. book about... By Dr. Lynn Garrett, his life, his yeah. his struggle, yeah. with all he gone through, it, it, yeah. it really. And also, I want to make sure that I say this too. I want to encourage you all. If you need a good, you know, he's a professor, so he does lectures anyway. Yeah, uh, I enjoy. Motivational speaker. Uh, I don't so know. Want to come out and speak? You know, he does a great job. He loves the young folks. And we got to connect. Lesson. We got to connect. We got to connect to the people. We got to find ways to continue to connect them. It's about us building on each other. Also, you got a second book you're working on. Right? I am working on a second book. How, how soon will that go be? I don't know. I, I, I'm struggling with it. I'm struggling with it. I, I, I'm just not, not struggling. 
I have I have written it and I did that before I, I wrote this one. I have uh, years and years ago I have a unique way of, of capturing people observing people and doing some things and I have put together uh, this book and I want to go public with it and uh, this was this what was intentional this one was I got to do it but the intentional one I, I put it together and it's there I'm working on it now and trying to do some stuff with it and hopefully sometime next sometime this year or maybe next year but I'm going to try to push it out by November Right, that's it. I need to write two books in a year's time. Yeah, that says yeah. a lot for you. Yeah, well, it, this one is more determined. This manuscript and this one has a different knack to it. It's completely different from my memoirs. Completely different. It's it's, it's a different stretch. It's a different touch. And it's a different perspective. You're going to show some versatility. This is, well, I'm not one dimensional. Well, nah, I'm not. I, I have never been. I've always tried to to inspire and let others see what, what's available. Everybody still. And that still do. I have a brother, he calls me graveyard today. You know, once he learned that, he called me graveyard. And I still have, when I go to Highlands, you know, in reunion or it's a homecoming game, you know, there are people who still call me graveyard. Why they call yeah, you graveyard? You know, that, 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 that's it. People want, why are you graveyard? But that, 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 that's just who I am, and I, I know that, and now, I've identified that in my, in my story. Who thought of the title, A Man Called Graveyard? Uh, my editor and I, we got together, and she was, she was kind of pigeonholing it because we were just out there after titles, and, uh, and then she kept, you know, and, you know, she was reading the story, and she said, man, yeah, this shouldn't be but one thing. You know, we were talking, you know, we got with the publisher. He said, well, we got to think about a couple of different titles. And I said, different titles? There's only one. And she said, I agree. There's only one title. And that is A Man Called Graveyard. So that was your, that was your thought? Yeah, yeah. Oh. No, my thought was that from the beginning. It just, it, it just, uh, I was, I, I was kind of riddled with, shall I go with that? Or is that too dull, too boring, you know, like A Man Called Graveyard. But that's who I am. Oh, it's that's who it, I am. It's a great read. It's yeah, easy yeah. to read. Yeah, it is easy read, and it's 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 very it's an interesting story, an inspirational story. But it's about a journey that I think we all encounters as we go through life. But some of us identify, and some of us don't. But also, it's it's, it's so well written. Well, uh, I, I thank you for that. I, I, I we worked hard, and I have worked hard to 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 tell a good story and to help hopefully for those who read it really enjoy it and have something great to hang on to great yeah. metaphors yeah great, yeah absolutely I mean, it just you yeah know, you take people oh it's a great it's a great journey I take people on the journey on my journey yeah it says a lot about us as people but it also says a lot about the world that we live in and this world that we live in we have to find better ways to come together to unite and it's also about fortitude of you know, love, hate, desire, ambitions, growth, you know, neglect. It's about all those things. And, and, and your journey have also, you know, you, you talk in your book, you talk a lot about the black, so-called yeah. black, so-called white issues. Yeah. That we all have been concerned about. Yeah. Since, since our conception. Since our conception, that's right. But at the same time, 
uh, all of those people have helped you through your life. All those people have added to yeah, my success yeah, in right. life. Yeah. So you, know, so you got to, uh, at the end, you see, you, you see where if you all come together and oh. give yeah. just a little to just each little other, yeah. then we all can we'll be a wonderful place. Yeah. And and the, world, the world, and most of the world, but also in the United States of America, we would just learn to just give a little bit of ourselves every day to somebody to help them make a difference, we would be a much better group of people. But we have to learn to do that internally so they can be felt externally. And that's why we got cow time. That yeah. hope that exists because it's time that every man and woman stand up to be counted. It's time that every man and woman stand up to be counted and be counted for making a difference in the lives of those people that you see and hear every day. How could you tell me you love me when you won't look at me and you won't touch me? How do you how do how do you love me when you don't when you don't understand the pain that I have and the pain that I feel and the pain that I have dealt with? You have to embrace that in order to embrace that in order to share that. So that's kind of where I am. Doctor Gary, yes sir, you've been here for quite a while. Yes sir, yes sir. And I can tell that. You got a lot more in you. Yeah. And that's what happens when you retire. You got plenty more time <laughs> to think about things, to process yeah. things. And, yes. Uh, and I, we, we, the, we get get a chance to talk about all your no, we won't. We, free and no, we, we leave they those alone. They won't be mad at me. They, okay. be mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> they probably will, but that's okay. <laughs> tell them to come see me in Dallas. Man, it just yeah, tell them to come see me. So much. Yeah, that, there's yeah. a lot more. Please, everybody, please. Uh, how can they get a copy of your book? You can go online to Amazon.com. You know, if you can't find it on Amazon, you can't find it anywhere in the world. So it's on Amazon.com. Uh, you can go to Target's or you can go to Barnes & Noble bookstores or any of your favorite bookstores or any of your, if you shop at uh, predominantly black bookstores, it's online there. It's available there. It's available anywhere you can get your book, anywhere you get your What's reading material. Book it's an inspirational journey of a man called Graveyard. And that man is who? Is Leonard Neil Garrett. Leonard Neil Garrett. Yes, sir. Now, uh, also. Yes, sir. We have they they wanted you to come speak to a school. Uh, I have a website out there. You just click onto that website. That website is LeonardGarrett uh, uh, dot com, and you go out there on that website and uh, let me know. Okay. I'm available. Also, I think it's all. In, I think it's important. Yes. You also, you can. You, we would post all the information when we put your podcast out yeah. on the page, so when you they have access, to, they have access to that to, to, to get back get to you. Yeah. But I like to thank you, my yes, brother, sir. for being here. Yes, sir. At the time, this time, yeah, it, it, it time this right. discussion. Yes, sir. I really, I was more excited when, <laughs> when I first read the book, but uh, no, but I enjoyed, I enjoyed the fellowship, I enjoyed really? our camaraderie, right. Thank you for taking time out to come out and, and uh, participate. Okay. We had a, I had a great time with you. Well, great. I, I saw that. I, it's, it's good to know that you read it and, and we can talk about it and share about it. But also it's good to share my story with others. And hopefully somebody somewhere will be inspired and get inspired to reach out and touch somebody else. So we can make a difference well, in this life. What's interesting is that the book is not as bored as you are. <laughs> But I'm gonna be who I am. I am who I am. You know, and then that's that's a good part about it. And I know you, uh, your partner Mac Evans. Uh, he will yes. come see a few things, but we've been this stuff going on. It's been going on, so we, we appreciate that. It's time for you to, to get yes. to be here. Yeah. So, Dr. Garrett, 
Uh, I'd like to thank you for joining us on Count Time. Okay. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity, and my best to you and yours. Thank you, my brother. It's 4 p.m. Stand up. It's Count Time. Man can shackle the hand. Man can shackle the feet. But only you can shackle the mind. The mind is always free to travel wherever you dare to take it. Welcome to Count Time.